Welcome to the Uncooperative Radio Show with Brian Bonner, the finest uncooperative conservative radio on the net. Kicking down the wall, blowing away the smoke screens. You cockroaches, and you know who you are. You can run, but you can't hide. Brian Bonner stands for truth, justice, and the American way. Enemies of America, foreign and domestic, consider yourself on notice. Uncooperative Radio is coming for you. Show. I'm your host, Brian Bonner, from uncooperativeblogger.com. You're listening to uncooperativeradio.com. And I'm here with my lovely wife and producer, Susan. Say hello, Susan. Hello, American patriots. What are we talking about tonight? Well, on Thursdays, we start the show with the Pledge of Allegiance. And Purim started yesterday. We will review this Jewish holiday. This is going to be our tribute to Netanyahu and his speech because... I don't really have anything to say about it and just impeach Obama and get it over with already, you know? So instead of going in through his whole speech, because all the other talk show hosts have done it, all you folks out there have listened to it over and over again. I'm not going to make you listen to it again. No, but we are going to go into the holiday that started yesterday, and it's wonderful that he came here before his holiday. And it's a very important story to show what the Jews went through, Okay. And that is why he has the opinion that he has, and he's the leader that he is. They've gone through a lot. Okay. Anyway, so I was upset about the last episode of Last Man Standing that we watched, talking about Our Lady of the Rockies here in Butte, Montana. And we're going to tell you the real story. Then we're going to lighten it up with bizarre animal stories, and they blinded me with science. If we get to it. Good luck. I hope I'm not we, even set up. <laughs> I hope that we. Uh, I hope we get to it because it, there's like robotic cockroaches to talk about. <laughs> robotic cockroaches. Yes. Uh. <laughs> like we need that, right? <laughs> uh-huh. What do you got your uh, mic at? It's a little hot. Seventy-six <clears> percent. Okay, moving right along to the Pledge of Allegiance. Well, don't act surprised. Patriots, hand of a heart, face the flag. You don't have a flag, get a flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. On to a history of Purim. And I'm loving it. It's 6 o'clock and it's still light out. Oh, I want to do... Uh, oh, I know. You haven't heard the, used, the rooster yet. He's he's not as uh, vocal as he used to be. Yeah, he will be. <laughs> Soon, when we open up all the windows in the studio and he's out until way past our show because it won't get dark until then because we're up in the mountains. I do want to say I... My thoughts and our prayers of the show go out to everybody that's underneath the, yet another storm out there. I just talked to my girlfriend, Deb, 
In Virginia, she's got a half a foot of snow, wind chills of negative. Sorry, folks. You, for some reason, you're getting our weather because <laughs> we don't have it. Look at the bright side. I have, I have to snowmobile in that crap. <laughs> negative 20. Oh, let's go for a ride. <laughs> uh, well, that's the only way to get off the mountain, so. From Shabbat.org. More than 2,000 years ago in the year 3392, after the creation of the world, King Akashvarash, Asuras, also known as, ascended the throne of Persia. Where's Persia now, Susan? Isn't Iraq? No. Iran? Iran. Well, that's why we're doing this history lesson. Iranians are Persians, not Arabs. Although, they've all been in the Mesopotamia their whole existence. Uh, they're all just kind of... You, you know, when you look up the history of this stuff, it's uh, everybody's conquering everybody. Everyone's trying to expand their empires. It's You know, you want to talk about col- colonials. The colonialism. Look at that. That was... You watch those lines moving all around, people dying everywhere. Uh, all they did was fight. It, it's got to be like that again because they still live in this. Well, he's let's see, the fifth century, sixth oh, sixth century. Yeah, the colonials have nothing on these people. <laughs> they really don't. But yeah, they do, this was much worse than colonizing. These this was uh, conquering. That's how it was. <laughs> that's and everyone's like, "Good to be I'm all going to make up." We gotta make special affirmative action stuff because we're mean. Uh, well, anyway, we're gonna prove to you that the Jews not only did it first, but have been doing it longer, as as far as being thrown into slavery. Uh, he was not the rightful heir of the Persian throne, but he succeeded in impressing the populace with his riches and power, and he established his government throughout all Persian territories. He waged many successful wars until he ruled over a vast kingdom of 127 countries, extending from India to Ethiopia. The people of Persia, already in awe of King Akashvarsh's wealth, that's a name. I know, I knew you were going to have troubles with it, and you're going to have to say it through this whole thing. It's Akashvarsh. I'm saying it right. Uh, wealth were further impressed when he married Vashti. She was the daughter of the Babylonian king Balthazar and the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. Granddaughter. Granddaughter, sorry. Uh, that's my favorite name, Nebuchadnezzar. It's like a magical name, Abracadabra, but it's Nebuchadnezzar. See? Now, you know, these people really did exist. This is another reason I wanted to bring this story. It's going to be kind of long, but it's going to be worth it to to highlight what the Jews have been going through their entire existence, as well as this really did happen. This is history. It's not a made-up story. Well, some people don't believe any history they don't like. Anyway, so they were further impressed um, that... The granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar, the powerful world ruler. The people now firmly believe that Nebuchadnezzar dynasty was destined to rule forever. But it wasn't. King Akashvarash 
Can I just call him Aki? <laughs> Proceeded to rule with an iron hand, never hesitating to persecute those he suspected of treason. Many years before, King Cyrus of Persia issued a royal edict which permitted the Jews to rebuild the Bet Hamikdash, the holy temple in Jerusalem. Which Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed. Yeah, because the Jews ticked him off. Um, Understand, Nebuchadnezzar uh, wasn't a Jew. None of them are not. So they, you know, they, uh, most of the 127 countries were not Jewish. But they, their answer was, "Well, our God's a stronger than your God. Let me show you." Destroyed the temple. But then King Cyrus says, "Okay, you can put it back up." But we all know what happens. It goes down again. The sly enemies of Yahuda, the Samaritans, and the Ammonites who led a movement to abolish the edict of King Cyrus. Yes, those places in uh, Conan really exist. Um, the bribe, they bribed the Persian governors who ruled over Yehuda and the neighboring countries to spread the rumor throughout the Persian court that the Jews intended, with the rebuilding of their temple, to rebel and free themselves entirely from Persian rule. Now, this was really, really long, and some of it was disjointed. It took me about an hour and a half to compile this properly so that it went in a – and I like Shabbat.org. It is a really good site. But to me, it wasn't flowing. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yes. So I might have to step in with some explanations. Okay? Well, thank you for stepping in to explain that you're going to be interrupting for a reason. <laughs> I'll be quiet now. Knowing that no law could be nullified without the consent of the king, these unscrupulous Samaritans decided to lie. They declared that the Jews were not only rebuilding the temple, but they were also reconstructing around the city the fortress walls that had been destroyed by the Babylonian conqueror, King Nebuchadnezzar. Since the rebuilding of the fortifications of Jerusalem was forbidden by decree of King Cyrus, the Samaritans claimed that there was sufficient reason for repealing the edict that had allowed the Jews to start rebuilding the temple. And why do Jews suffer so? Oh. It's going to show it here, too. All right. Um, ba, 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 ba. Since the rebuilding of the Fortica of Jerusalem was forbidden by decree, so they said, no, we're repealing that edict. Being a usurper, King Akashvarosh was constantly seeking new ways to strengthen his kingdom and to become popular with his subjects and with the powerful Persian statesmen who surrounded his court. One of the important moves in this direction was to transfer his capital from Babylon to Sushan in Persia. Shushan, I don't remember that name. Shushan. But even more important was his royal feast, which lasted 180 days, nearly half a year. To this feast, he invited representatives from all of the nations of his vast empire. Then at the end of the half year, he made a special seven-day feast for the entire populace of Shushan. At this feast, designed especially to win the favor of the masses, Common men were given seats of honor 
and their slightest request was immediately granted. This is exactly what's happening in Caesar's regime. They're inviting all common people and they're telling them they're going to give them all this stuff. And that's why the lamestream media is with him and all these lackeys are with him because they have a seat at the table. That's what that's about. Of course, that's what cronyism is all about. No, we don't even have crony capitalism. We had it. Now we're some kind of socialist mess. (coughs) Excuse me. King, uh, where was I? Immediately granted. King Achu Varaj had become somewhat disturbed. I don't, I don't like the guy. I'm not going to keep saying his name. Had become somewhat disturbed at having stopped the reconstruction of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. He became especially worried when the 70 years of exile that had been predicted by the Jewish prophets approached their end. He was afraid that the restoration of the Jewish commonwealth and the rebuilding of their temple in Jerusalem might shake the foundations of his world empire. So he anxiously awaited for the end of those 70 years. According to Achu Varash, reckoning the 70 years of Jews' exile were at an end in the third year of his reign. When that time came and nothing happened, he became very jubilant believing that now the Jews would remain his subjects without ever regaining power and independence. This is one more reason why he made such a pompous feast. He felt secure and powerful, so much so that he did not hesitate to adorn his tables with the precious and sacred vessels of the Holy Temple, which had been captured by the wicked Nebuchadnezzar. Like all other nations, the Jews also were invited to attend the king's feast. This was Haman's plan. He saw an opportunity of luring the Jews into eating non-kosher food and then using God-momentary anger at his people for the persecution and destruction of the Jews, which he had been planning. Mordecai, the great Jewish leader at the time, was aware of his sly scheme. He exhorted the Jews to avoid the palace and thus avert God's anger. The vast majority of the Jews followed his advice, but many Jews did not heed his words of caution. They went to the feast at the palace. To their consternation, they discovered the holy vessels of the temple on the king's tables, and they drew back. But the king quickly commanded his servants to set up tables especially for the Jews. The Jewish guests swallowed their pride and remained for the feast, eating and drinking the non-kosher food and wine, and making merry like the other guests. And there you have it, right, Brian? Again. They chose poorly. Yep, going against their covenant. There's always a percentage of them that do it, always. Shabbat was the last day of the great seven-day feast in the king's palace. While pious Jews everywhere ceased working and spent the day in prayer and Torah study, The wild revels of the palace did not abate. The king, his tongue loosened by wine, began to boast of his riches, of his vast empire, and then of Vashti, his queen, whose extraordinary beauty and wondrous charms surpassed those of all other women. Made reckless by the intoxicating liquors he imbibed, one of the guests challenged the king to prove the truth of his words and allow Vashti to display her beauty before the guests. The king immediately sent for Vashti, his queen, to appear before his guests. 
And Vashti's heart burned a vicious hate for Jews, which she had acquired from her grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar. She delighted in tormenting Jewish children by sending for them on, on Shabbat and forcing them to perform all sorts of demeaning tasks. When the king sent for her, she cried indignantly, Am I to be sent for like a common slave, a mere servant girl? And she boldly refused to do the king's bidding to come to the banquet hall. King Achu Viraj was enraged and called upon the wise men of his kingdom to pass sentence upon Vashti for her disobedience, but all were afraid to answer, all with the exception of one Haman. Then an obscure official by the name Memukan, the lowest-ranking official present, he advised the king to have Vashti executed, as her disgraceful act would have far-reaching consequences. And so Vashti was executed for her rebelliousness. But it was not a mere coincidence that the cruel Vashti was executed on the very day of Shabbat. It was the penalty she paid for suffering, uh, for the suffering she had inflicted upon the Jewish children on the holy day of Shabbat. They just loved women, even on, you know, from the beginning. They just loved women. Many Israelis still <clears throat> treat women like crap, like the Arabs. They're, they're all from the same area. So anyway, that that was pretty dumb. He had the be- most beautiful woman in the whole world, and because she wouldn't come show her beauty to other people, I'm going to kill her. Let's see, I was upset because she wasn't there, so I'm not going to make her permanently not there. <laughs> make, makes no sense. That's why it's, it's horrible. That's why monarchs don't work, because you can have the greatest king in the world. And his sons will turn out to be pieces of crap. And they're the ones that are going to rule for their lifetime. And so that, then the kingdom is horrible. Everyone's suffering. All because, you know, you couldn't raise a proper son. But that's why we don't want monarchies. Because you're at the whim of the good nature of your monarch. That's not, that's not freedom. Vashti was no more, and the king needed a new queen. The king ordered a search throughout his kingdom for a fitting wife. All the beautiful daughters of the country were brought to the palace so that king might choose one whom he desired for a wife in place of Vashti. Mordecai, who lived in the cap- capital city of Shushan, also known as Susa, dreaded, maybe that's how you pronounce it, Susa, dreaded the moment when the king's men might come knocking on his door in search of a possible queen, for he was in charge of a very charming and good-hearted cousin named Esther, or Hadashah. As Esther was an orphan, her cousin Mordecai brought her up. To most parents, it would have been a rare honor and a great privilege to have a daughter married to the king, but Mordecai feared the day when Esther would be called to the palace. He knew that he could not hide her successfully for long, and finally the authorities heard of Esther and came to take her to the royal palace. The contest for Vashti's place went on for several years. The fairest maidens from all the 127 provinces of the king's empire were assembled in the king's palace in Shushan to view for the king's favor. 
They received all the beauty treatments that they requested and the most exquisite clothing they asked for. Esther, however, did not ask for anything at all. Nevertheless, from the moment of her appearance in the palace, she enchanted everyone by her modesty and was treated with marked respect and deference. Her beauty radiated from her inner self, giving her special grace and charm that was hers alone. Although Esther was by no means the most beautiful of all assembled maidens, the king preferred her above all others. When Esther found out that she was destined to be queen, she surrounded herself with faithful Jewish servants who provided her with kosher food and did not betray the fact that she was a Jewish. A Jewess, sorry. For Mordecai had told her to keep her ancestry a secret until the day came for her to reveal it. Thus Esther became the new queen. Esther did not tell the king that she was Jewish. All he knew was that she was an orphan. The wicked Haman was a descendant of the implacable enemy of the Jewish people, Amalek, and was the wealthiest man of his time. He had dishonestly acquired his riches by seizing the treasures of kings of Judah. King Achuvaraj, who was greatly impressed by Haman's fabulous wealth, appointed him prime minister. Then the king... Now, obviously they have a parliamentary government going on here, if there's a prime minister. It sort of sounds like England, where they have a monarchy, and then they have a parliament. And back in the day before, it was just they were just for show... Uh, you know, they had final say in everything, the monarch. So it, it's kind of, they're, they're, this is where I guess England got it from, uh, when they, when they kind of cobbled together some extra freedoms for their subjects. Anyway, um, then the king issued an order commanding everyone in the palace to bow down in deference to Haman. Now, Haman wore on his chest an image of the idol he worshipped. Mordecai refused to bow before Haman. Despite the many warnings he had received from various officials, when Haman himself reprimanded him from not extending to him the honor he was bestowed upon him by the king, Mordecai answered, I am a Jew and would never bow down to any human being wearing the image of a pagan idol on his chest. Actually, what he did, um, they explained it. He just took his shoe off and waved it at him. <laughs> sandal? Yeah. Yes, sandal. Uh, and I said, the first thing I thought was, oh, maybe that's where the, the shoe-throwing thing at Bush came from. <laughs> well, he's a Jew, not an Arab. But then again, they all live in the same place. The enraged Haman swore he would destroy Mordecai and all the Jews. You see how stuff starts? <laughs> Haman lost no time in compiling a long list of false accusations against the Jews. Intermingled with a few truths and half-truths to make it appear genuine to the foolish king, Haman came to the king and told him that the people were getting restless, that it was necessary to give them some diversion. The time is now ripe, Haman said, for persecuting the Jews. Haman offered the king 10,000 silver pieces to offset any financial loss that the persecution of the Jews might entail. But the king smiled and said, Keep the money and take the Jews as well. Do with them as you wish. To show that he really meant it, King Atuvarash 
removed his signet ring from his finger and handed it to Haman the Agagite, thus investing him with absolute power. The wicked Haman now had a free hand. He alone could issue decrees and orders concerning the fate of the Jews. They were completely at his mercy. Haman gloated over his new success. He wasted no time in carrying out his evil designs. He sent for the king's scribes without delay and commanded them to prepare two royal decrees addressed to all the king's ambassadors and governors in all 177 provinces. 127 provinces, sorry. The first decree was an open order to all the governors of the provinces to arm the population for the 13th of Ardar. When they should rise to a man and massacre a certain group of harmful people. The identity of this group was contained in the second decree, which was sealed, which was a sealed order not to be opened before the 13th day of Adar. In this sealed order, the decree was clearly spelled out. The people of Persia should attack and kill all the Jews, young and old women and children, wherever they might be found in the vast Persian Empire. Both decrees were duly signed, sealed, and delivered post-haste to the various governors of the provinces. They bore the impression of the king's royal signet and could not be revoked. That night, the prophet Eliahu, Eli? Eliahu? Is that Eli? Probably. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> that wonderful protector who appears in time of distress to warn the Jewish people of impending danger appeared to Mordecai in his dreams and revealed to him Haman's wicked plans. That Eliahu further revealed to Mordecai that his menace was a punishment for the Jews' disobedience of the Torah in partaking of King Achuveras' feast. Only complete repentance by all the Jews, he told him, could save them from Haman's sword. Now, I know that this is a simplistic version of what happened, but it's the most complete one that I could find. You've got to be kidding me. You do, you, <laughs> That's what I'm saying. The Torah is much bigger. <laughs> I know. But it, it stresses, look, when when Netanyahu came here and was saying to the <laughs> to us Americans, look, this has been going on for a long time. That's why I wanted to do this story. Because this has been going on for a long time. Their persecution, their enslavement. they I mean, they would torture these kids. The, Vasti. She would call little children so that they could, um, what do you call it? Um, Debase themselves. Right, exactly. That was her fun. Yeah, I know. There are evil, horrible people. There, were also, there was also no TV, to be fair. So they had to make up their own entertainment. That night, the prophet Eliahu, that uh, the wonderful protector, revealed to him Haman's wicked plans. And he also told him complete repentance by all the Jews was required. When Mordecai awoke, he rent his clothes and went out into the city in mourning, weeping with a loud and bitter cry that arose all, aroused all the Jews of the Shushan, the sad tidings spread throughout the city, and the Jews were filled with great and overwhelming sorrow, for they knew that they were all doomed to perish on the thirteenth day of Adar. Clothed in sackcloth and with 
ashes on his head, Mordecai came to the gate of the palace. Esther's faithful servants hastened to tell the queen of Mordecai's great distress, and she came she became quite disturbed. Wishing to learn from Mordecai himself the reason for his distress, Esther sent Mordecai a change of clothing and bade him come in to tell her what happened, for he could not enter the palace dressed in sackcloth. Mordecai, however, refused to take off his sackcloth. Instead, he sent word to Esther through her faithful servant Hatak with a copy of the royal decree, which was now made public in Shushan. Mordecai begged her to appeal to the king on the behalf of her people. It is clear, Mordecai said, that you were chosen as queen so that you might be of service to your people just in such a fateful day. Time has come for you to reveal your nationality to the king and to plead with him to save his loyal Jewish subjects without whom the arrogant Haman has been deceiving him. Esther sent word back to Mordecai. I am ready to do all I can, dear cousin, but you surely know of the royal order initiated by Haman that anyone entering the king's inner court uninvited shall be put to death except when the king holds out his golden scepter. Unfortunately, I have not been in the king's favor recently, nor have I been invited to the king for the past 30 days. How can I be sure that the king will be pleased to see me and hold out his scepter to me? Of course, I am not afraid to die for my people, but surely nothing would be gained if I shall have died in vain. These are well-meaning words and sincerely spoken, my child, Mordecai replied. But do you think that you could save yourself in the shelter of the king's palace and see all your brethren perish? No, the Jews will be saved, but if you will not stake your life for them, you alone will surely perish. This is no time to think of your personal safety. You must take the chance and trust in God. That night, the prophet Elihu... Well, I think I doubled did that. Okay, keep going. Uh, I double did, oh, yeah. You did. I did, I did. Sword, We're going to have to take a break anyway. Morning and weeping, clothed in sackcloth. Mordecai, however, it's clear, Mordecai said... Esther said word back to Mordecai. These are the meaning words. Now fully. Esther now. Esther now fully realized the grave danger facing the entire Jewish people. Yes, she would gladly risk her life for for her people. But what a hopeless situation. Even if her life were spared and her pleas accepted by the king, the decree which bore the king's own signet would remain irrevocable. Even the king himself could not nullify them. What a slim chance there was for her poor attempt to succeed. Yet Mordecai was right. There was no alternative, and Esther was resolved that she would not fail her people in their hour of need. And we'll continue this on the other side of the break. This is the Uncooperative Radio Show. You stay tuned, cause we'll be right back. socialists. You will be assimilated. Your individual liberties, personal freedoms, and mental individuality will be added to our own. 
Resistance is futile. If you are successful at what you do, whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a business owner, or you have a great career, you understand the concept of protecting yourself. Well, are you protecting yourself, your family, and your assets with quality term life insurance? Consider these possible rates. A man age 45, non-tobacco user, could obtain $1 million of coverage for as little as $75 a month. And this rate is fixed for the next 10 years. We specialize in policy of $500,000 and above. A man aged 50, non-tobacco user, may be able to obtain $500,000 of coverage for as little as $115 a month. And this rate is fixed for the next 20 years. We have great rates for smokers, too. Call the Term Lifeline now. 800-430-1891 I'm Sheriff David Clark and I want to talk to you about something personal, your safety. It's no longer a spectator sport. I need you in the game. But are you ready? With officers laid off and furloughed, simply calling 911 and waiting is no longer your best option. You can beg for mercy from a violent criminal hide under the bed, or you can fight back. But are you prepared? Consider taking a certified safety course in handling a firearm so you can defend yourself until we get there. You have a duty to protect yourself and your family. We're partners now. Can I count on you? This safety message brought to you by the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Office. Support the uncooperative radio show and earn extra money at the same time. All for only $5 one time. Unleash an unstoppable flood of $5 payments paid instantly to you directly to your account. Visit this website for all the details. www.thegenesisteam.com forward slash UR. And that's all small letters, guys. www.thegenesisteam.com forward slash UR. The Auto Cash Robot just launched worldwide. Receive multiple $5 payments over and over and over again, paid instantly and directly to you. www.thegenesisteam.com forward slash you are and again make sure all lowercase letters in that website address the genesis team.com forward slash you are go there now you'll be glad you did if you are struggling to pay or haven't been making your student loan payments listen carefully to this urgent alert Have you been out of school for 10 or more years and you're still making your student loan payments? Are your student loans past due or even in default? Can't go back to school because of an old student loan problem? We can help you if you qualify. Your student loans can be taken out of default. We can stop the wage garnishments, stop the collection calls, and stop the seizure of your tax refund. Give yourself a break. Stop the stress and see if we can help you reduce your student loan payments. One quick 10-minute call could solve them right now. So call the Student Loan Helpline now. 800-215-6813, 800-215-6813, 800-215-6813, 800-215-6813. This is a fee-based document preparation service to help you access free government programs. Call for complete details, not available in all states. 
Welcome back to the Unguabative Radio Show. All right, back to Esther. I can hear that. <laughs> it's weird. Um, anyway, we're back to where she was resolved that she would not fail on people in their hour of need. Esther had but one request to make of Mordecai. Gather all the Jews of Shushan, young and old alike, and fast and pray on my behalf for three days, until their pleas will reach heaven and God will have mercy on us. Here in the palace, I and my maidens will fast and pray likewise, for nothing but a miracle of God can save our people. After the three days, I will go to the king despite the law, and if I perish, I perish. It was difficult for Mordecai to grant Esther's wise and just request, for the fast would coincide with the Feast of Passover. But as the fate of the entire Jewish people hung in the balance, Mordecai readily announced the fast. All the Jews living in all the 127 provinces of the Persian Empire eventually accepted the fast. In the meantime, wherever Haman's decree was proclaimed by order of the king, all Jews responded with great mourning and fasting, weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Thus a movement of sincere repentance swept the Jewish communities throughout the Persian Empire. In Shushan, Mordecai gathered around him the Jewish children from all the Jewish schools, sitting in sackcloth and ashes in the manner of mourners. The children raised their voices in weeping and prayer to God day and night. When God saw those innocent children and heard their heartbreaking prayers, he was filled with mercy. For the sake of the children, wow, that's the first time he's ever used in our benefit. For the sake of the for the sake of the children, I will save my people. He said. Meanwhile, Haman heard that Mordecai was raising a great outcry in Sushan, and he rushed to where Mordecai had assembled the children. He found him surrounded by twenty-two thousand Jewish children, all praying with tears in their eyes. Haman's cruel heart did not soften. Your prayers will be of no avail, Haman mocked them. Nothing can save you now. And he ordered his men to place the children in chains and keep guard over them. The children shall be the first to die. Heartbroken, the mothers rushed to their children, bringing them food and water. But the brave little children swore that they would rather perish in the fast. We shall remain here with our dear Mordecai, until we are torn from him by force, they declared. See, they have no mercy for even for children from back in this day. He was an evil man. Didn't you understand that? Yeah, well, so is half of, oh, so is half of them that are there now. It's what happens when you don't believe in anything but yourself. But they believe in Allah. No, these, no, they had these weird Persian gods or polytheists okay i'm glad you brought that up so i mean they believed in something sort of the, the king they didn't really believe those things worked <laughs> they didn't believe those gods actually did anything the the kings all knew the truth but it was all bread and circus for the people you know just like it is now all right um at that moment twelve thousand jewish Kohanim priests 
each one holding a scroll of the Torah in one hand and the shofar in the other, raised their voices with prayers and supplications to the Almighty. O God of Israel, they cried, if your chosen people perish, who will study your Torah? Who will praise your holy name? Answer us, O God, answer us. This is one of the things I need to uh, interrupt. When we did Purim last year, we did the customs, that ha- what the ceremonies that they go through. We didn't do the story. And that's one of the things. You mean the one where five minutes of the show was missing? No, last year. Oh, last year. Yeah. We do this all the holidays the same time when they come up, Brian. Anyway, um, in their practices, they have a, they fast, then they feast, and then, then they blow the shofar. And this is where they get it from. Okay. Uh, yeah, and basically, it's a pretty good uh, argument. Who will study your Torah? Who will praise your holy name if we're wiped out? Yep. He made it, they made a good point, you mean. <laughs> yeah. Then each one blew his shofar. The sound of the holy shofar joined with the supplications of the children and pierced the very heavens. During the three days of her fast, Esther ceaselessly prayed to God to grant her success in an attempt to save her people. On the third day, she mustered all her courage and made her way to the throne room. On the way, she felt divinely inspired, and though weak and pale from the prolonged fast, she boldly ignored the king's bodyguard and entered the throne room. The king was on his throne, surrounded by his attendants. Just then, the king saw Esther standing at the entrance. She looked very pale and troubled, but there was something about her face that made her look like an angel. Achu, Raj, eagerly extended to her his golden scepter, and Esther, overcome with relief and hope, drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Greatly surprised at Esther's unexpected visit, the king asked her affectionately, What troubles you, my dear Queen Esther? And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be granted to you. Esther did not see a favorable opportunity to speak to the king of her true intention just then. So she merely asked the king if he would come to a banquet she had prepared, especially for the king and his prime minister, Haman. The king immediately granted her request and sent for Haman to appear at the banquet. Esther had many reasons for inviting Haman to the banquet instead of inviting the king alone. The most important reason was that she did not want the Jews to solely to rely solely on her, but to constantly remember that their true salvation lay with God and with him alone. When they would hear that she made a banquet in his honor of distress and invited her, their greatest enemy, Haman, they would begin to doubt her loyalty. They would then turn to God with either even greater earnest and more fervent prayers than before. Not Josh. In addition, Esther also wanted to allay any fears or suspicion on Haman's part that she was plotting against him. For Haman might then have instigated an open revolt to depose the king. Finally, Esther planned for her an opportunity to arouse the king's suspicion and anger against his treacherous prime minister and thereby cause his immediate downfall. When the king and Haman appeared at Esther's banquet, the king asked her again 
what her wish might be. Esther still did not think the time opportune for her petition, and merely extended another invitation to the king and his prime minister to attend a second banquet the following night. She promised to disclose her wish then. Hermann rushed home and called a great family conference, calling upon his relatives and friends to think of some way of disposing of the hated Mordecai without delay. Hermann cautioned them. Okay, now I'm going to get into this. They did this whole big thing. Nobody slept that night, and the king didn't sleep that night, and he actually then said that God got upset with the king for being so um, arrogant, sent angels down to waken him and not let him go back to sleep. And he was pacing and pacing and pacing, and he asked his son to bring him uh, the book of events. They kept events of things that happened in the palace, kind of like what Obama does, in right? In the past, yes. <laughs> yes, in the past, right? And when he looked it up, mm. the page kept flipping to when Mordecai, when Esther was first queen, had saved the king from a poisoning. Two of his advisors tried to poison him, and Mordecai found out and told Esther, and then the king was saved. Okay? So... Now, the king called in Haman and said to him, why are you acting like this? And you, what, would you, what does the king give this greatest hero? And Haman was like, you give him a fancy horse, you give him clothes, you invite him to the palace. He goes, good, you go out and you get Mordecai and you bring him back and you do it. And Mordecai had, and Haman had to um, what, debase himself in front of Mordecai and brought him back on the king's finest steed and all in royal garb to the king. That's when he got, then he got really mad. So that's when he did the second plot. Yeah, you probably should have put that in there before the paragraph. <laughs> no, it was so long and so involved. And so I was like, You had no. to say it anyway, see? <laughs> yeah, but it was, mine was a lot shorter. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> but the way you did it was disjointed. It made no sense. Anyway, so again, Mordecai was above Haman. Haman's supposed to be the prime this minister. This is before Haman rushed home and called the Great Family Conference? No, this is after all that happened. Well, he's cautioning them. Make up your mind. It's before or after. No, 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 no. Yeah, he did. He's, gonna, he's, he's talking to his family. He's cautioning them. They're going to come up with a plan to kill Mordecai, but he's cautioning them this this plan. I understand the I understand the words, Susan. I just think you took too many words out of the story. Well, way too many. The the, the main moral of the so, Anyway, <clears throat> fine. Haman cautioned them. I don't know why. I don't know why they're even in the same room. We must devise a plan that has never been defeated before, for their God always sends a miracle to rescue his devoted Jews. Beheading Mordecai will not do, for did not Pharaoh try to kill Moses by the sword, yet Moses' neck turned into stone? Nor will drowning be of any good, for the Jewish walked through the Red Sea on dry land, the waters having parted for them. Should we want to gore his eyes out? Oh, by the way, there's a rational explanation for the whole Red Sea thing. Honestly. But it it doesn't it doesn't matter even if the story is a little different, uh, it still was inspired by God. But the, he the waters really didn't part. It's just that Moses, who was cast out into the desert for forty years, 
he knew he knew all the lands and he knew that at this time of year that at this time the marshes would be dried up before the tide comes in and then so he made it a point to cross right at that time when the tide will then rush in um so it wasn't like they were it's like just engulfed with water just try to remember the people chasing them had chariots horses and chariots so they were heavy heavy at those chariots were heavy they hit that swamp mud and sunk and that's the real story but the idea was inspired by god so it doesn't matter it's just not as glorious do understand that it, it, this story was beefed up to the, the one you saw in the movies because they wanted other people to fear messing with the jews so they they overinflated what happened to make it more dramatic and godlike but the, the truth was, it was still God who got them out of there. God doesn't work in those major magical ways. You know, there's just no reason for it. All right, so um, the conference, all right, the Pharaoh. Uh-huh. Should we want to gore his eyes out, let's not forget that a blind Samson did to the Philistines. Equally useless would it be to burn Mordecai at the stake, for it was not so long ago that three Jewish ministers of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Kananai, Kananiah, Kananiah, uh, Mishael, and Azariah, walked out of the fiery furnace unscathed. Personally, I should have liked to see Mordecai torn to shreds by hungry lions, but everybody knows that the Jewish prophet Daniel went out of the lion's den unharmed, and saw his adversaries thrown into it and torn to bits in his stead. So now, see, that's the part they don't really, I don't remember them saying that in the Old Testament, the Christian Bible. He just, there was none of the torn apart of his enemies. He was just freed, and that was kind of the end of the story. But the real story was the people that tried to do it to Daniel were the ones that actually got torn to shreds by the lion. And it's more com- it's more complicated than that, but that's going going into that is uh, unnecessary. So where were we here? Um, the lions. So now, my, my my wise men, think hard and devise an execution that has never before been prevented by the Jewish God. A deep silence ensued for a moment as all racked their brains to come up with a terrible death for Mordecai. Then Haman's wife, Zaresh, whose cruelty was surpassed only by her husband's, exclaimed triumphantly, Let us hang Mordecai! I know of no Jew that has ever been saved from the gallows. Now let the gallows be made fifty cubits high, and in the morning go to the king and ask his permission to hang Mordecai thereon. Surely the king will grant you such a little favor. And then you could go merrily to with the king to the banquet. Haman was delighted, and he wasted no time in erecting the gallows fifty cubits high in his own courtyard. Pleased, and obviously still in a festive mood from the events of the day, Achuvaraj sat in the king's chair that night at the banquet. Esther, my queen, said, Achuvaras affectionately. Surely there is some request you wish to make. You have not arranged these two banquets for the pleasure of Haman's company. 
Pray tell me, what is your petition? Even to half of my kingdom, and it will be granted to you. Only do not ask me to permit the Jews to commence construction of their temple again, for that is in my half of the kingdom. Esther regarded the great honors bestowed upon Mordecai that day as a truly auspicious sign from heaven, was confident and sure, though her voice shook with emotion. Your Majesty, I ask only that my life be spared, together with the lives of my people. For my people and I have been treacherously condemned to die, to be mercilessly butchered and destroyed. Who has dared to do such a thing? cried the king, trembling with dread at the thought that his own beloved queen was not safe in his palace. A very wicked and cruel man, a ruthless enemy who has already sent Queen Vashti to her doom, and now would also take my life. The villain is no other than this wicked Haman, cried Esther, pointing an accusing finger at Haman. Haman grew pale and was terrified. He sank at Esther's feet, begging her mercy, but King Achuvarash turned to him with uncontrollable rage. At that moment, Charvona, one of the king's attendants, said his, I, I'm not good Persian names, <laughs> said his, is the king aware that Haman erected a gallows 50 cubits high for the royal, for the loyal Mordecai? There it is, towering over Haman's house. Hang the vile Haman thereon, cried the king. Haman, I knew that was going to happen because I, I read it before. Did you? Of course I have. <laughs> I'm sure in the uh, books of the uh, Jewish people, this, this, like I said, this is really simplistic uh, version. This is compared. The, yeah, well, no, completely. Everything in, in the Old Testament is very simple compared to the, the actual Torah accounts. Uh, they're still important. They still teach a moral a story, but it's not the lesson that was intended in the Torah. And uh, most most Christians don't know that because they've never read the Torah. But if you Google back and read the Torah and, and other books, that's the first, I forget how many books of the Bible, but Genesis is in there. And, well, this would be the book of Esther. Right. And with that, I have to go to a hard break. It's the Uncooperative Radio Show. You stay tuned, cause we'll be right back. <laughs> the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it, what is in it, what is in it. Thank you for caring so much about our health and welfare. Oh, 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 be careful, Mr. President. There is a cliff here. You know what? Maybe this isn't going to help. Maybe you're better off not having the surgery, but taking the painkiller. No, no, I need a pacemaker. Make no mistake about it. President Obama and the Democrats who supported Obamacare began throwing seniors off the cliff back on March 30th, 2010, when they voted to cut Medicare's budget by $575 billion. Don't worry, Grandma. We've got you. Here are the facts the president doesn't want you to know about how Obamacare will impact the health and welfare of your loved ones. Obamacare puts into law the ominous Independent Payment Advisory Board, which is a medical services rationing board. 
about which the Wall Street Journal reported, for the first time an unelected group will be empowered to limit health spending for the vulnerable elderly. In plain English, that means, as a result of the passage of Obamacare, based on factors such as your age and eligibility, 15 faceless bureaucrats will be making life and death decisions on whether or not you and your loved ones will receive the care you need and deserve as a doctor and as an American. That is simply unacceptable. The Congressional Budget Office originally estimated that Obamacare would cost taxpayers $938 billion and then just 10 months later revised those costs upwards to $1.45 trillion. Medicare is already on life support, and now Congress wants you to entrust them with the nation's entire health care system. You know he's right. I'm Dr. Chris Held, and all of us agree. Medicare needs to be reformed, but it needs to be reformed in a way that will allow the next generation of seniors to choose the health plan that suits them best. I'm Dr. Jane Hughes. We understand that reform doesn't begin or end with our nation's seniors. If Obamacare is not stopped, your family's insurance decisions and major medical decisions will be decided for you by a small group of politically appointed government bureaucrats. We're not politicians. We're doctors. And as doctors, we don't treat Republicans or Democrats. We treat people. The first step to reform of America's health care system is repeal. Repeal of the highly politicized and deeply flawed Obamacare. To see firsthand what true patient-centered health care reform looks like, please join us at AmericanDoctorsForTruth.org. Help us reform the system while protecting your health care from arbitrary government controls. Let's do it right this time. uncomfortable feeling that this prosperity isn't something on which we can base our hopes for the future. No nation in history has ever survived a tax burden that reached a third of its national income. Today, 37 cents out of every dollar earned in this country is the tax collector's share. And yet our government continues to spend 17 million dollars a day more than the government takes in. We haven't balanced our budget 28 out of the last 34 years. We've raised our debt limit three times in the last 12 months. And now our national debt is one and a half times bigger than all the combined debts of all the nations of the world. 
We have $15 billion in gold in our treasury. We don't own an ounce. Foreign dollar claims are $27.3 billion. And we've just had announced that the dollar of 1939 will now purchase 45 cents in its total value. Uncooperative Radio Show. The Book of Esther. You were saying um, during the break that's one of many people's favorite books. Especially amongst women. Yes, and you identify with the Book of Job. Correct. <laughs> I know, and I have to live with that. Well, I don't know what to tell you. All I know is uh, I'm for them. Let's, let's hang Haman. Hamad was led away and hanged upon the very gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. And only then was the king's wrath appeased. King Achuvaraj now had every reason to be proud of his Queen Esther, for he had learned that she was a descendant of the royal family of Saul, the first king of the Jews. When the king heard that Mordecai was a descendant of the same noble family, and in fact was Esther, Queen Esther's cousin, he immediately appointed him to succeed Haman as prime minister. Achubaraj presented Haman's palatial house to Esther and the royal signet, which he had taken from Haman to give to Mordecai. Although Mordecai and Esther were deeply grateful to the king for his favors and could feel safe under the king's own protection, they did not for a minute lose sight of the danger that still faced their people. Haman's cruel decree was still unchanged. Unless it was withdrawn in time, the Jews would be lost. Esther, therefore, began to beseech the king on, in behalf of her doomed brethren. She fell at his feet and, with tears in her eyes, pleaded with the king to avert the terrible fate that threatened them. How could I endure to see the evil that will come unto my people? How can I endure to witness the destruction of my kindred? Esther cried in anguish. The king was deeply moved, and he wanted to allay her grief. Unfortunately, it was not so easy to rescind the decree, for it was sent out by order of the king in his name, bearing his king's own seal. Such a decree was irrevocable. Finally, a plan was hit upon. A new decree was to be issued in the name of the king, declaring that Haman had abused the king's confidence by issuing falsified decrees. Instead of issuing decrees to do away with the persecution of the Jews throughout the vast Persian Empire, as was the king's intention and desire, the treacherous Haman had ordered the extermination of the loyal Jewish subjects. A further proof of the king's displeasure with Haman was the fact that Haman had been executed by the king's express command. Once again, the king's scribes were called and the new decrees were prepared, this time dictated by Mordecai himself. The documents were immediately dispatched by royal couriers riding on swift steeds to all the governors and princes of the 127 provinces of the Persian Empire, from India to Ethiopia. By these royal decrees, permission was granted to the Jews to gather on the 13th day of Adar and defend themselves against their enemies and to attack and slay all those who would assault them. 
The news of the great salvation of the Jews spread like lightning to the remotest corners of the Persian Empire, and the Jews were now treated with respect. When the thirteenth day of Adar arrived, the day on which the Jews were to be slain and exterminated by Haman and his evil forces, the Jews gathered in the public places of each town and hamlet. By order of the king, they sentenced to death all those who had revealed themselves as enemies. Throughout the kingdom of Persia, 75,000 would be murdered, would-be murderers were executed, and 500 more are Shushan. All ten sons of Herman were likely exec- likewise executed. The king brought the news to Esther. I have but one more request to make, she said. There are still many dangerous enemies at large in Shushan. They must be executed, or there could be no peace in the land. Let tomorrow also be set aside for a day of judgment in Shushan over the enemies of our people, who are also the enemies of all mankind. And may the bodies of Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. Esther's request was immediately granted. And so, while the Jews outside Shushan celebrated their victory on the 14th day of Adar, the Jews of Shushan were still grimly engaged that day in the task of ridding the city of the villains and murderers. Only on the following day did they celebrate the great and miraculous salvation. You know, it's portrayed that God, uh, before the New Testament, there was no forgiveness, but that's not true. As you just as you just saw, God, God did change his mind. If they did, if they did, what? If they... Have, if they basically said they were sorry and repented, saying they would go forth and do no more. You might have found that in the New Testament, but it's not from the New Testament, actually. Well, the same thing with Passover. I mean, every single holiday that they have has a historical significance that everybody glosses over. Correct. Their their ceremonies are all based on their history. It's to keep them closely knitted to their history so that they won't forget what's happened to them, and how it happened to them, and why it happened to them. Now, can you please just briefly explain, because I, like I said, I did this in a kind of tribute to, um, and I forgot his name. <laughs> this is bad. No, because you were saying all these names. Oh, Netanyahu. Yeah, yes, because he was appealing to our sense of, look, we have gone through this. We know these people and their hearts. I mean, they've been dealing with Persia forever. You know, don't don't take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. Take it from from our history, you know, and. Our administration just basically spat in his face. That's why I wanted to do the story. And the difference I want you to bring out between, like you just said, this is a Jewish history. Christians come from all different races and countries. That's different than being a Jew. Muslim isn't even a religion. Exactly. It's a cult. It's a blueprint to run a theocratic empire created by a bloodthirsty emperor conqueror that's what he was and those that followed him continued on his footsteps the bloody reign of muhammad and the muhammadans uh that that's that's just the whole religion is a joke 
if you, if you study the Torah, you you will realize that basically he copied most most of the stuff from the Torah, changed the the labels, the words around, but the meaning is still the same. Uh, and, and well, then he just he just dealt. He got worse as he got older and older and older. Uh, and and the books are out of chronological order. Um, Medina, I believe, came before Mecca. I think in Medina, or was Mecca before Medina? The one where he's nice. It's all. It sounds like all love and light. It sounds like more of a Jesus, uh, what Jesus would say kind of thing. That was in the beginning. In the end, that was all the evil stuff. In other words, as he got older and time went on and civilization became more civilized, he didn't. He went the other way. He got more barbaric. Um, and that, that's what that thing teaches. So, you know, I'm sorry. It also teaches you muzzies out there. <laughs> you could lie to us. with, And, in fact, you're encouraged to lie to us. So I would never know if a Muslim was lying to me or not. If he's, a, if he's a practicing Muslim, calls himself a Muslim or herself, then they are not trustworthy because they chose that religion. Well, I know they might have been born into it, but they stuck with it. So, Well, look at how many lies were in this story. <laughs> they lied with impunity. They didn't even care. They were going to wipe out a whole race of people. Yeah, it wouldn't be the first time. No, it's and and actually, the, it won't be, and it won't be the last. Yeah, because the Jews will do it too. In fact, the Jews already did it before this. This is after their uh, their escape from Egypt. This that's why he was they referred back to it when he you know Moses crossed the Red crossed Sea, the, yep. blah blah. Uh, but more importantly, the way it turns around on their enemies, I always find interesting because they seem like. That's the it's the they're that's the end. They're doomed. <laughs> and then they just wail and cry and plead and and God saves them every time. Uh, so I don't understand why everyone says until Jesus there was no forgiveness. It's not true. Look at how many Jews died in the Holocaust and God still saved them because they didn't. The people weren't wiped out. Well, the, he didn't. Again, if he wipes them out, what happens? Who's going to read them, study the Torah? Who's going to study the Torah? Who's going to worship him? And so he won't do that. He'll never wipe them out. He'll punish them. But he, he does, he's not going to wipe them out. Are you glad you read that? That's what's meant of the chosen people, by the way. Everyone thinks that means they're the only ones going to heaven. That's nonsense. That's not what it no, means. No, that's nonsense. It basically, they, I think he were, they were the chosen people for God to mess with constantly. But that's another story. Uh because he, he knows everything. He knows all points in history at all points of time. So even though in the beginning he was given the Ten Commandments, he knows what's coming down the line already. But it's got to play itself out. So God can't interfere. That's that's his gift to us, is free will. And then many people complain about it. Oh, why did God allow this man to kill these children? He didn't allow the man to do anything. He tried, I guarantee, lots of things were tossed in his way to try and convince them not to do that. It didn't work. Some people are beyond saving. Uh, like the people in ISIS and the Brotherhood. Muzzies far and wide are not going to be seen uh, with much good light. A religion that does what they do is not a religion. And actually, if, it, if you want to call it a religion, and I don't, it would be Lucifer's religion. As you constantly say on this show. 
That's true. <laughs> it is the it's anti Torah. It's like the it's like you know when you get antimatter, matter, and antimatter. It's like Bible and and, and Torah and anti Bible Torah, and that's what the Muzzies have. They have the dark side, the flip side, the negative, if you will. Yes, and this is the uncooperative's way and of and take on and, his visit. <laughs> and and the, by the today. way, any Muslims listening out there, look, you know, you know what I'm saying is true, and I'm just speaking the truth. Now, you want to keep being a muzzy, keep being a muzzy, but understand more and more people are learning about that religion, and more and more they're rejecting it. Rightly so. Again, it's you're following Lucifer. Just, just what. If you if you're bothered to study anything but the Torah, because after all that's the only book that's needed, uh, that's a nice way to keep people stupid and ignorant, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We got the internet. Look it up. Look it up for yourself. I mean, I, I'm going to tell you stuff you're not going to want to hear. I piss off everybody. Everybody's got something that I I attack that they love. <laughs> I don't care if it's bad. It's bad, and I'm going to call it bad. If it's an unconstitutional law, it's a and they all are. So we're done with that. Right, they all are. Why, Brian? You can't say that. What about funding? Oh, I can say it all I want because tell me how many times they pass a bill that is pursuant to the Constitution and has no earmarks, no pork spending. That's earmarks. I haven't seen any the whole time. I've been following it. So anything that brings money back to the states would be unconstitutional doesn't matter if the legislature passed it and the president signed it it's unconstitutional therefore it doesn't actually exist as a law oh they're gonna enforce it but we the people gotta not enforce it as the jury remember that uh the only protection we have against the overarching authority uh in the form of police abuse and all that it is is the jury box it's where you sit there and go no that that law is not in the constitution you can't make that law pursuant to the constitution now out whether it be state or federal and or. Uh, that's how we have to do it. And the only way you're going to know that is to educate yourself. Yeah, obviously, you want to because you listen to this show because there's almost no other reason to listen to it. Oh, I do want to apologize to our uh, faithful listeners about <laughs> the five minutes of silence. We didn't know. We weren't streaming till later. Sorry. Um, when I was reading the Constitution, which I find quite curious, you actually. were reading the Declaration. <laughs> Decla- of I mean, Declaration of Independence. There is a difference. I, there is, and I find that quite uh, weird. Why? That, that we went off <laughs> right in the middle of me reading it. Uh, yeah, and I, there was no way to save it, so that we, you need to do it again. We're going to need to read the Declaration again because that didn't work. We're also going to need to read I pencil. That's what we're going to do for the next show. And ism, say ism. The ism's long. I know. <laughs> but it says it all. It does. But anyway, um, so let's get back to the 21st century. No, the Muzzies are still back there. But they're not here yet. Muzzies didn't come around to after Jesus. Alrighty, moving on to Our Lady of the Rockies and Bizarre Animal Stories. Now. Which seems like we might actually get to. <laughs> Last night we were watching our one of our favorite shows that Tim Allen does, a sitcom, Last Man Standing. Seemed, you mean, you mean uh, his first show with <laughs> girls instead of boys? boys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
And they have a token lefty on the show. And he's from Canada, actually. <laughs> very, very fitting, I think. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Ooh, just Could all you Canadian liberals <laughs> just stay there? And no liberal doesn't mean for liberty. If it does, if it does in Canada, I apologize. Whatever is the opposite of liberty, whatever party that is, don't come here, please. So anyway, he got a job. Uh, he was unemployed. He's an activist and a protester, and you know, you name it. Nine, what is he of the one percent or ninety nine percent? He's a ninety nine or the liberal. He's been to all those rallies and he oh, protests. Oh no, he's definitely a ninety nine. He's a ninety nine. Okay, he's a, he's the unwashed masses. <laughs> yes, he is. He's the idiot that complains about stuff like a statue of a lady of the Rockies. Yes, and um, he is married, well, engaged, because, of course, he couldn't even do that, they, which they showed appropriately. He couldn't even uh, be a father to his kid the first five years, to, his, uh, to Tim Allen's oldest daughter. And They're he, using him as a story that he, he they don't get along. He's like Meathead. From, from uh, the, All in the Family. All in the Family, yeah. He's like Meathead, spouting all this lefty nonsense. Uh, first of all, you, if you're offended by religion, you should pack your bags and leave now. And if you're from Canada, you should go back. <laughs> we were founded on freedom of religion. Yes. They, and you could say anything else you want. I've heard people try. No one's ever beat me in an argument about it. Trust me on this. We were founded on freedom of religion, not freedom from religion. They had that. They wanted freedom of religion. That's why it says in the First Amendment that you can't stop us from freely exercising our religion and yet they do it at every turn the atheists two more tools of the devil uh that's what happens you don't believe in anything and stuff really does exist say now you're an ignorant and you're open you have no defense against it uh but it's unusual for someone not to be religious and to be a good person it, it's it happens but it's unusual. So anyway, <laughs> last night, so he gets a job truck driving a truck across the country, okay? And then he decides he's well, going to... He didn't get it. He already had it. No, no, he got it. No, he already had it. It's just that this thing came up with the uh, the picture taking. Yeah. His, he's driving a beer truck. A beer truck doing selfies. 18-wheeler <laughs> beer truck. And he's stopping all the way to take political selfies but he's a bit of a doofus. He forgets to take off his work jacket, which has the company logo on it. Now it's a now it's a beer sponsored anti religious campaign. Uh, so his his employees said, "No, take them down, no more," and gave him a suspension, some time off. Uh, so Mike comes up with a way for him to be able to do it again, and, and he does it by giving him a a head of, of a costume of a polar bear. He says, take your jacket off, put the hat, put the head on, and take your selfies. And no one will know. And he's a marketing guy, so he explains him the marketing angle to it. The, a caring bear is better than a, than a crying Canadian. And I have to agree. Um, so, you know, he doesn't really like him, but it shows that, you know, he tries. You should watch it. It's good. It has good, really good messages in there. I, I, I don't know how young you want to go with it. I, I'd probably PG thirteen it myself. The way I used to do things, I set, <laughs> I used to set my cable box locked to general audience. So, uh, 
my daughter, when she was living with us, could watch TV whenever she wanted, but she could only watch what was general audience. If she wanted to watch anything else, she had to watch it with me or ask me to unlock it and allow her to watch it. Um, I would never let her watch anything over PG-13 and she was 15. She was livid because her mother let her watch R-rated movies and I didn't. For one thing, I don't want to see two people having any kind of nakedness or sex when I'm sitting next to my daughter. I can watch a TV or movie or whatever. I'm, I don't know about the rest of you, but that yeah, that's just out of the question. <laughs> I could not, I can't, I could not do that. It's just too weird. Uh, so, but yeah, so the most she ever got to watch is PG-13. We watched a lot of old black and whites, you know. But since I'm rambling on, I've, I would want to let you know this is, this has been available for a while. I keep forgetting to tell you. For those that like listening at redstatetalkradio.com, or maybe you don't like listening there, but you'd like another option, you can listen to the Red State Talk Radio listener line 24-7. That's right. You can listen to Red State Talk Radio 24-7. If you want to listen to this show, just go to the schedule, see where we're scheduled, and you can tune in and listen to it. You can call in on this number instead. If you don't have the bandwidth, for instance, well, you can call the phone and listen. It's not a caller line. I won't pick it up. There's nobody to pick it up. It's just a listener line. And the number is 605-562-4209. Okay, I can see you're scrambling for a pen and paper. I'll try it again. 605-562-4209. 24-7, you can listen to conservative talk radio streaming on the internet for free. Did I mention it was free? That's important. Okay, so did you get to how he? Did you get to what he said about our beloved statue? I haven't read a word of it yet. No, no, no. What what they said on the show? Oh, I don't remember what, okay, what the this, doofus said. Okay, I, this is what the doofus said. He just said. wants everything religious gone. Yeah, he, and this is what he it said. It was the, the 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 natives' holy land. Yep. It's an affront yeah. to the, I don't know any <laughs> Indians here bitching about our Lady of the Rockies. No, and and by the way, that particular land is not sacred to the Native American <laughs> Indians here. I live here. Trust me, it's not. Well. Okay, so I got a little ticked off because on national TV, they said he literally did say that we stole the land for this monument and that it was an affront and that it was a relig- well, shoving he, he religion is, down his throat. Right. There, there was a lot, that lot of land there stolen and about those parts that called the National Forest. It was stolen from the states by the national government. He's talking about the Indians. The Indians, we didn't steal it. They didn't know they were, they didn't know they were selling it, that's all. Well, this particular piece of land was donated. Well, yeah, this is private. But this <laughs> is not private property. But when they failed on that, there's a little statue of the Virgin Mary somewhere on a hiking trail that yeah. I have never even been at here in Montana. Here in Montana, in these national forests, right around the Butte, and it's a, it's it was put up a long, long time ago as a war monument for for those that died, so people would could take a moment and think of those soldiers that. Gave their lives so that they can stroll around in the forest, not worried about being dead. Uh, so they didn't want that either. This freedom from religion—they—they they, they even have the gall to have an organization called Freedom from Religion. There is no right to freedom from religion. I've debated these guys; they're idiots. They just repeat themselves. There's, there's absolutely freedom from religion. Well, you're just making a statement. You're not God. You don't get to choose. 
They they don't they just they don't have no argument for free. There's nothing in the Constitution that says freedom from religion. There's nothing even in the Establishment Clause that says, hey, you know, you can't pray in a government building or. In fact, they start Congress with a chaplain praying. Now they brought a Muslim in to pray. That really ticked me off. Another more work of Caesar and his ilk. Yeah, they brought a fuzzy muzzy in to pray at the Congress. And I'm sorry, it's not a religion. I'm a, I'm a, it's extremely an affront to Christians, Jews, because though that person wants us all dead. And he's praying in my Congress. Man, what, the whole government's riddled with commies and muzzies. And we're going to have to clean the whole place out. Well, that's what getting back to the Constitution does. It cleans them all out right away. All those bureaucracies are going to have to quickly be shed because they're unconstitutional. Some will go immediately. Immediately. I will bring you my favorites. The Department of Education, the Department of Energy, the Department of the Interior, the BLM, the Forest Service. I mean, I, I, I'm just going off the ones we can get rid of like that. It won't make any difference at all. Except to improve our lives. I mean, it, it won't, like, the whole country won't fall apart. We can instantly lose those, and it, they, they really have no benefit whatsoever to us. Yes, and revert it back to the states. Correct. And they cannot get rid of Our Lady of the Rockies. They have tried, and the state said absolutely well, Only because not. they played games, and they, call it, they, they say it's not the Virgin Mary. It is clearly a statue of the Virgin Mary, as an ex-Catholic who's star- stared at a billion statues of the Virgin Mary. Trust me, that is a statue of the Virgin Mary. And they it, just call it Our Lady of the Rockies. But that you can call them, you can call... The Virgin Mary, the mother of whatever you want. That people do that all the time. And it's huge. It is. It is the second biggest. Well, it statue. would have been the biggest, but we didn't read the story yet. Well, no, I didn't have it in this one. I, I had to get it from someplace else. It's right there. No, ninety it, feet, right I, there. I know, but that's it, what I'm talking about. <laughs> if if they were not limited to ninety feet, they were going to build it bigger. Yep. Which means it would have been the biggest. And I just tried to say that, and you said no. It's the second biggest one besides the Statue of Liberty. It is now because of the 90-foot limit that was imposed upon them. Okay, well, read it to folks. Well, I tried to say that, too, and you just kept talking. (laughs) All right, Our Lady of the Rockies from OurLadyOfTheRockies.net. The culmination of six years of hard work and, oh, it took about 30 nowadays. Six days (laughs) of hard work and undying faith placed Our Lady of the Rockies standing 90 feet Atop the Continental Divide, overlooking the city of Butte. Our city. It's still the city of Butte. The project to build the statue began in December 1979. People from all walks of life and every religion worked to pave the way for the statue. And the reason it's 90 feet is because... They're going to say it in this. Oh, uh, will they? Yeah. You said it. Mm-hmm. You said it wasn't going to say it. You, it is going to say it. You all heard it, right? <laughs> say it. This is what I have to put up with. <laughs> So, 79, people from all walks of life, every religion worked to pave the way for the statue, built in the likeness of Mary, mother of Jesus. I rest my case. <laughs> they, no, but what it was in court, it was, no, it's Our Lady of Rockies. It's secular. It's just celebrating women. You, Susan really actually bought that hook, line, and sinker, too. It's not about women. It's about... <laughs> 
it's about uh, religion. They, they were very religious at the time here, and obviously there was a lot of Catholics because uh, last time I checked, we're the only one with the statues of Mary. I, it's another problem I have. I don't like idolatry because God said no. But uh, they have their reasons, I know. And that's why I'm no longer a monk, because they kept trying to spin, if you would. And I got sick of the spin. I don't like deceitful people. I don't like to be lied to. Uh, but anyway, I know for a fact they were not supposed to worship statues, so I didn't. And that's the end of it. I didn't have any statues in my little cell. It's just a little room. They call them cells. Uh, luckily, in the monastery itself, we didn't have any idols whatsoever. So it kind of never came up. But you got to be careful. It's it's pretty plain in the in God's word that you cannot have idols or gods before Him, and having calling them saints doesn't really change it. You're still worshiping an idol and technically a god before Him because you pray through a saint so that the saint will help your message get to God. You don't have to. God, we have a direct line to God. There's no reason to go through anybody else if you don't want to. Sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes it's not. But never, ever deny the facts. The facts are, this is a giant idol. Hence, I have not visited it. Susan's not in the room, so she doesn't even know that. Anyway, let's get back. Anyway, the, she says it's going to say it later, and so I'll... I'll just stop here. People from all walks of life and religions built the likeness of Mary, mother of Jesus. Our Lady of the Rockies is entirely non-denominational. It's oh, I say it's uh, it's a symbol. It's the statue of the Virgin Mary. What do you mean it's non-denominational? Not every Christian worships idols. Not every Christian prays to Mary, mother of Jesus. That's it. Not every Christian religion does. That's not true. Most of them don't. Uh, certain ones do. Lutheran, um, Episcopalian, because they're so close off the break of the Catholic Church that it's all part and parcel of the same thing. The Protestant Reformation was a whole other different story. I sh- we should probably do that sometime. The history of the Reformation. That's actually very interesting stuff. So anyway, then back to this. So they say it's non-denominational, and yet it's Mary, Mother of Jesus. And it's the exact same likeness that is on every statue I've ever seen. Except they didn't paint the blue on her for her robe. Uh, they just left it all white. So anyway, it said it was dedicated by workers to women everywhere, especially to mothers. I can't imagine some people, a bunch of guys sitting around going, you know, we got to put up a 90-foot statue of something so the women feel like we appreciate them. They what, did. was everybody in the, in the outs or something? No, but they, they kicked out of their tents? No, they did because it had to do with, well, you'll read it. You'll read one. I'm, I'm just going to say, if they wanted to do that, why did they choose Mary, Mother of Jesus? I'm going to, it's going to tell you why. But it can't be non-denominational then, can it? He's lived here for 15 years in the state of Montana. He doesn't know the story. You never know. I do. I do know the story. (laughs) And you were out of the room and you don't know that I told them I 
have never and will never visit that statue. I know. You just, I heard it. That's idolatry in my opinion, and I, and I will not do it. Volunteers spent many summer evenings blasting a road to the top of the Rockies. Meanwhile, as the statue was being constructed, individuals were working to raise needed funds through various projects. Memorials were and are still a very large part of the economic support. The base of the statue was poured with 400 tons of concrete in September of 1985. Ah, I think that was Ronald Reagan still. Pretty, yeah, pretty sure. Uh, it took them 10 miles at a time to get that road up there. It's long. It's the Rocky Mountains. And it's they a, had it's to a blast, lot of rocks. They blasted it. They yeah. had to blast it. Yeah, it's a long road, too. It's a very long road. It is like, To what? spend this much resources for a statue seems just so wasteful to it, me. They was all donated. It, they didn't take one red cent from it. I don't uh, care about that. I care that it costs in resources, both money and manpower, to put a stinking large statue on the side of a mountain, which, frankly, looked better without it. I think God's work was good enough. Why did we have to muck around with it? Just saying. <laughs> but I know a lot of people love it. They go there. I don't have any problems with anybody else doing whatever they want, but I have to answer directly to God for my decision, so I make my own. So anyway, the, we're back to 85. That was, yeah, it was under, that was under Reagan. I wonder if it was under Carter, if it ever would have been allowed to have been built. December 17, 1785. 1985. 1785. <laughs> I want to go back to 1785, please. <laughs> no. Uh, December 17, 1985, a Nevada Air National Guard team, see, Air National Guard, lifted the statue, which, by the way, back then was not federalized. Nope. It still isn't because that law is unconstitutional. Um, so they airlifted the statue in four sections. With a C-H-A-R Sikorsky Sky Crane. Supported by the Montana National Guard, the U.S. Army Reserve from Butte, and teams of civilian workers, the final head section was placed atop the statue. I think it section was placed at the place. Typo. Atop the statue while thousands watched. Don't do the last sentence. <laughs> come and take a tour to visit Our Lady of the Rockies. Hey, uh, come visit Montana. Better yet, put on your hiking shoes and enjoy all the wilderness because that's what's great about this part of Montana. The mountains, the wildlife, the it's just, it's a good place to visit. Anyway, we're going to go to a short commercial break. This is Young Cooperative Radio Show. You stay tuned because we'll be right back. <laughs> You live here? Yes. Well, maybe you know what a zombie is. When a person dies and is buried, it seems there's certain voodoo priests who, who have the power to bring him back to life. Oh, horrible. It's worse than horrible because a zombie has no will of his own. You see them sometimes walking around blindly with dead eyes, following orders, not knowing what they do, not caring. You mean like Democrats? Opening a Registered Nurse's Eyes, A Life-Altering Journey Across North America by Susan Francis Bonner is available in ebook form for Kindle owners at Amazon.com for seven ninety nine, 
This true story chronicles the changes Susan witnessed in nursing, the medical field, and in our nation during the years 1998 to 2002. It is written to expose what goes on behind the scenes concerning health care in this country, the common problems our nation faces, and what it is like to live across North America as a travel nurse. It is not politically correct or for the faint of heart. She hopes to inspire her fellow Americans to stand up for what is right and persevere no matter what the difficulties they encounter on the great journey that is called life. Again, the novel is Opening a Registered Nurse's Eyes, A Life-Altering Journey Across North America by Susan Francis Bonner is available in ebook form for Kindle owners at Amazon.com. If you are struggling to pay or haven't been making your student loan payments, listen carefully to this urgent alert. Have you been out of school for 10 or more years and you're still making your student loan payments? Are your student loans past due or even in default? Can't go back to school because of an old student loan problem? We can help you if you qualify. Your student loans can be taken out of default. We can stop the wage garnishments, stop the collection calls, and stop the seizure of your tax refund. Give yourself a break. Stop the stress and see if we can help you reduce your student loan payments. One quick 10-minute call could solve them right now. So call the Student Loan Helpline now. 800-215-6813 800-215-6813 This is a fee-based document preparation service to help you access free government programs. Call for complete details not available in all states. If you are successful at what you do, whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a business owner, or you have a great career, you understand the concept of protecting yourself. Well, are you protecting yourself, your family, and your assets with quality term life insurance? Consider these possible rates. A man age 45, non-tobacco user, could obtain $1 million of coverage for as little as $75 a month. And this rate is fixed for the next 10 years. We specialize in policy of $500,000 and above. A man age 50, non-tobacco user, may be able to obtain $500,000 of coverage for as little as $115 a month. And this rate is fixed for the next 20 years. We have great rates for smokers, too. Call the Term Lifeline now. 800-430-1891-800-430-1891. Okay, and welcome back to the Uncooperative Radio Show. All right, um... Back to Our Lady of the Rockies. Yeah, we have a little bit more history on it that I got from someplace else. Mm. This is from RoadsideAmerica.com. The statue was first imagined by local resident Bob O'Bill. In 1979, his wife was seriously ill with cancer. He promised the Blessed Virgin Mary that he would make a five-foot statue of her in his yard if his wife recovered. When she recovered, he began the project with his fellow workers who gradually changed the vision, the initial vision, to a 90-foot-high mountain-top statue. 
David Atticus, Atticus, Attics, whatever, creator of the giant Sam Houston statue in Texas, told us that he met Bob O'Bill, the man who made Our Lady of the Rockies. He was a welder. That's a short sentence. In Butte, <laughs> there were no sculptors. Uh, yeah, mostly miners. Yep. Bob originally planned to build a five-foot-tall Mary in his yard, fulfilling the vow he'd made when his wife recovered from cancer. But according to Attics, Atticus, I don't know how to say that. A Dickies? <laughs> You're having a problem today with names. That's a weird name, Atticus. <laughs> I, I don't know how to say that probably. A D I C K E S. The I yes, children have a field day with that name. The idea of building a giant Mary quickly caught on. I have a question. If he promised to build a five foot statue in his yard, and instead he doesn't, and they build a collective ninety foot statue somewhere else. Did he fulfill his vow? Shouldn't he still build the five-foot-one in his front yard? Uh, this is how I try not to get in trouble with God. <laughs> uh, anyway, maybe I'm maybe sculptors. Um, but according to the idea of building a giant Mary quickly caught on as a way to boost the town's spirit when its copper mines were shut down. Now, see, this was... A prayer to the Virgin Mary. This was a statue to be built of the Virgin Mary because his prayers were answered. This was a religious statue. It still is. And it still is. It's and I still have, I, I don't care. I, I'm like, can out of that boy. I don't run around taking pictures of it with selfies going, this is the, uh, the abuse of Christians on the rest of the world. <laughs> That's what he I look do. up and go, what the hell, what? Why? <laughs> All right. Back, back to this somewhere. I don't know. But according to the idea, caught on, boost, uh, the town spirits when its copper mines were shut down. I'm going to have to figure out how to say this because it just keeps repeating it. <laughs> just like the king's name. I'm going to call it Atticus. Okay. Because <laughs> I've seen that word before. Uh this I've never seen this name in my entire life. Was told that Bob, oh, sorry, I like that one, made the lady's head and hands first for a statue 120 feet tall. But then the FAA told the yeah, the government told them that anything taller than 90 feet would need a blinking light on its head. Well, they would have said a blinking light on it said anything. It would say a blinking light at the top. Not on the head, because that's the rules. Buildings, radio towers, etc. And there's a good reason for it. In the wilderness, like, well, where this thing is, it's surrounded by mountain forests. Uh, the planes, the private pilots are allowed to fly over agriculture, areas, low populous areas, national forests, those kinds of things. And then their uh, deck is 100 feet. So 100 feet above the ground. You may run into planes flying at night. And so you want a light on it so the plane didn't hit it, right? You wouldn't want to build a big statue and just make it something for planes to run into. Well, you might, but that time hasn't come yet. 
Okay, so just to make clear. I hate the FAA. It's, All right, it's I know. absolutely worthless. <laughs> it's worthless. This would be done by the states without yep. them. Any yep. idiot knows, okay, well, 100-foot ceiling, you know, deck for the planes, and everything has to be under that, or it has to have warning lights on yeah, it. Yeah, like we're not we're not smart enough to think of it on our own. We right. had to have a whole agency well, to do it. it seems they weren't smart enough to figure that out on their own. How many people knew that rule? How do you think I knew that rule? Yes, but you would know the state would come. Look, they were using state, um, what do you call it? Um, the point was resources. No, they needed someone to tell them because they were about to put up a 120-foot-tall plane scruncher. <laughs> yeah, but we don't need the federal government to tell that us. That would be like Godzilla Virgin <laughs> Mary, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> oh, my Lord. <laughs> that FAA told them that anything over 90 feet in a blinking light at its top this is a quote. I don't think they would say head. So the statue was built 90 feet tall, and its head and hands are consequently way too big. It's only made of 16-gauge steel, Atticus told us, marveling at its durability. You can rap on it. It makes a wonderful sound. Last we checked, the statue was still being lit at night, it and is. plans were... On the drawing board for a Skylift-style ride up the mountainside to speed visits. Yeah, right now you have to go on a tour bus. Yeah, and it is being lit every night. Yeah, I haven't been to town in forever, and thankfully from my part of the mountain, I can't see it. <laughs> I, it's like, hey, I'm not asking them to take it down. Well, yeah, I was going to say, you're not agreeing with... Canadian boy. <laughs> no, I. there should be more religious symbols uh, about to remind us that God exists, in my opinion. It'd be helpful to have more religious uh, statues or stuff around when you're walking through town and stuff, driving around so that you think for a minute about God. Well, it would be nice if they would stop, if they would start bringing statues back, period. And atheists, why don't you just laugh at us? I know. If you're really an atheist, what the heck are you so angry about? You, you don't. We're a bunch of superstitious adults, so don't worry about it. But no, you got to wipe God off the planet Earth. By the way, that would be impossible. But you keep trying. I don't know any prosperous atheists, do you? Oh, I don't they got to be some. <laughs> I know. Maybe they just keep to themselves and shut the hell up. <laughs> like, like every, like they should. You're an atheist. You don't believe everybody else does, but you don't. You're a minority. Shut up and go away. Honest to God, if you're if you're bothered by this, you're not comfortable with the fact that you're an atheist. It it worries you. It makes you think about God, and you don't like that because you can't prove he doesn't exist. So guess what? Atheism's a religion. You have faith. You have no proof that God does not exist, and therefore, actually, you have more faith than Christians do. Well, if the Christians are wrong and you're right, what happens? The light's turned off. You cease to exist, right? Big deal. No downside to doing what they did, covering their bases. But, on the other hand, if you're wrong, let's just let's just imagine for once in your life that you might be wrong. It's amazing how wrong atheists are, so many things. Uh, but just, just imagine you're wrong and you die. Well, then the switch... The light doesn't go out. You still exist. And suddenly, you're with God, and God's not happy with you. See, the Christians have no downside. 
The people that believe in God have no downside. Either way, it's no downside. But you atheists, you're you're doubling down. You're all in. You're saying, I'm betting my eternal soul on the fact that I believe there is no God, no creator, no powerful being, etc. I think you're a doofus. Because that's a big risk and that's a large bet. And I would suggest you go to Vegas first and uh, take all your money with you and see how much you come back with. There's a lot of religion going on for it not being a Sunday show tonight. (laughs) I don't need Sunday to be religious. Actually, it's not religious. It's more spiritual. Knowledge about religions. Yeah, we teach you about all kinds of stuff here. The Bizarre Animal Stories. We need something like uh, chimpanzees squealing and stuff for it. And like... Behind it. <laughs> for an intro? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll get right on that. From the Telegraph. By now, you all know the Telegraph is a UK paper. So I won't go into that. A man who jumped off San Francisco's Golden Gate Bridge in an attempt to take his own life has told how he survived against all odds after a sea lion kept him afloat until a Coast Guard arrived. See, they were thinking Coast Guard ship, and they then they changed it to just the Coast Guard arrived, but they still left it until a uh, Coast Guard arrived. <laughs> a Coast Guard. What is a Coast Guard? One person one person showed up? Really? No boat? Just one person? A Coast Guard arrived. Uh, Kevin Hines, a Australia... I just, I just love the way they put these things out like they're professionals, and it cracks me up. It's like, really? Your editor couldn't catch that. Kevin Hines in Australia, to speak at several conferences, was a teenager struggling with mental illness and depression. When he jumped off the famous bridge in 2000, he survived the fall, only to see what he thought was a shark beneath him. I was freaking out in those waters, and I was thinking, I did die there, and now I'm going to die here in the water because of a creature of some sort, he told the Associated Foreign Press. I really thought it was a shark, and I thought it was going to take off a leg, and I was panicking. And then it just didn't. It just kept circling beneath me. I remember floating atop the water and this thing just bumping me, bumping me up. Mr. Hines later spoke to a man who had been on a bridge that day and who had seen that it was not a shark, but a sea lion. Everyone looked down, saw this creature circling in a clockwise motion beneath me. So they saw me laying atop the water and being bumped. This thing beneath me didn't stop or didn't go away until I heard the boat behind me. Mr. Hines believes another factor also helped save his life. A woman driving past saw his plunge and immediately reported it to a friend in the Coast Guard. He said without her call, the Coast Guard would not have known his exact location and would not have got to him before hypothermia or his injuries, including serious back problems, caused him to drown. Again, we're going back to the belief in God. This man, well, he was not destined to die. 
<laughs> you have look at how many circumstances around this man. Not you're not going to die today. You know what I mean? <laughs> Seem to remember a movie called The Perfect Life. Is that what's called? No, no. <laughs> it's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> Close. Jimmy Stewart, and he was in the armed services. He jumped up a bridge too. The angel saved him. But you've seen it. Everybody's seen it. Well, wait. No, I bet atheists haven't seen it. <laughs> I'm one of less than 1% to have survived that fall, he acknowledged. Many of the survivors never regained full mobility as he has. I've been given a gift of a second chance of life so many times, he said. Hines, now 33, is a men- as a mental health advocate, mental health People with mental health problems always go into mental health. Uh, is a mental health advocate who speaks at events around the world in a bid to prevent suicides. This is absolutely my life's passion and my life's work, he said. What really I'm talking about here, it crosses all boundaries. Every race, creed, color. Everyone is touched by this somehow, some way. Suicide prevention is everyone's business. Well, yeah, but that's easier said than done. For for the first thing, family members have no respect for family members' opinions. That makes it difficult. So you need outside help then. Now, I asked you when I was reading this story, part of it to you, what would make a sea lion do this? God. Okay, good answer. <laughs> it was an easy question. Enough said. <laughs> From the Associated Press, however he decides to get the job done, it's still him doing it. The Ringling Brothers in Barnum and Bailey Circus. And before anybody thinks I'm a backbencher because Levin talked about it today, uh, which is, I think, the only thing I heard him talk about today Susan was listening to. Uh, we already had the story in the queue before his show even came on. All right. Why am I doing that? I don't know. He won't shut up about stuff like that during his show. I figured I'd start. Okay, before you get into this, because this is going to be a... We're going to get into it a little bit in de- more in depth. So, before you do that... It's a heartbreak? Yep. You heard her. It's the Uncooperative Radio Show. You stay tuned, because we'll be right back. <laughs> Terry O'Brien Show. The Terry O'Brien Show airs live in vivid red, white, and blue. Sundays, 4 to 6 p.m. Central on Blog Talk Radio. I think that most liberals are well-intentioned but misguided. They're like children who have the luxury of believing in the political equivalent of the tooth fairy. They need some tough love. They need a big old healthy dose of common sense and information. And when they get it, the smart ones will become conservative. Strap in for the wild ride with America's original conservative warrior princess. Jeremiah was my pastor. He was a good friend of mine. I said I never heard a single nasty word he said. And I hope you'd believe that line. I had the audacity of hope that you'd believe that line. Now I'm saying Reverend Wright was wrong. Jeremiah's gone now. He sleeps with the fishes in the deep blue sea. 
And he didn't speak for me. Serve the Clinton. Uh, what should we do about evil? Uh, that's, that's a good question. Uh, We see it all the time in the streets, Darfur, but not in Iraq at any time. We need to be humble and not have a spine. Defeated. Defeated. Let me just say. Uh, Defeated. 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 There's no other way. Oh, And now, a message to freshman Tea Party back senators from Trent Lott and Lindsey Graham. Hello, this is Trent Lott. Uh, Lindsey and I just want you to know that we appreciate all that the Tea Party people did to bring you here to Washington. Yes, I love tea, and I dearly love parties. But now's the time we should all come together and sit down with the other side and listen to their ideas on how to move the country forward, while we as Republicans... Take a step back and walk a mile in their shoes. Yeah, we love being Republicans, and we love conservative values. Uh, probably as much as we'd love being liberal Democrats if the need ever arose. What Trent means is Republicans are always at our best when we ignore all the rhetoric and noise from back home and just do the right thing. The right thing? You know what I mean. Join Trent Lott and Lindsey Graham in bringing bipartisanship back to Washington. Five different budget plans on both ends of the ideological spectrum failed. Five budget plans failed in the Senate. Among them, a 99 to 0 vote, defeating President Obama's $3.8 trillion budget request. The Democrats are afraid of their own shadow in the Senate. They even vote down their own president's budget. Only takes 51 votes to pass a budget. Democrats in the Senate refuse to be held accountable. Under the Democratic control of the Senate, for three straight years there hasn't been a budget. We haven't had one for three years. The result of no discipline for three years is you spend $10 trillion, $400 billion. Our national debt is more than $15.6 trillion. Approaching the $16 trillion mark. $16 trillion worth of debt. It's the number one threat to our national security. The longer we wait, the more difficult the solution is going to be. The federal government is now twice the size it was in 2001. National unemployment has registered above 8% for the last 38 months. There's no way Barack Obama, with a straight face, can come before the American people and argue that somehow he has made things better than they were when he got here. The Obama economy isn't working for a lot of Americans. People across the country know what they want. They want a healthy economy. And the Obama economy is not a healthy economy. Most Americans have soured on the economy, and they've now soured on this president. 42% said he's made it worse. Independence by double digits think he made it worse. We're not where we should right. be. Obama made it worse. At a time when it's hard enough already to create jobs in America, 
America. Have policies that maximize economic growth. Supports our economy. Growing our economy. Build our economy. To help this economy grow. Create jobs. American jobs. Jumpstart the economy. Create jobs. We should be focusing on jobs and the economy. So if you're looking for a simple three-word description of the Democrat approach to the problems we face, it's this. Duck and cover. talking about now oh the associated press and the ringling brothers barnum and bailey circus i grew up with them we all did they're like a hundred years old or something like that let's say it in the article but not everyone got to go see them and i did i got the same in the madison square garden so did i that's a nice place to see it and it's funny too because i wasn't a kid when i saw it i was an adult Oh, I was a kid first time I was there. Uh, I got bored. We had to leave early. My father hated that. Every time we take me someplace, I get bored. Took a bit of rodeo, I got bored. You love rodeos. Now. <laughs> I was a seven-year-old boy full of energy. I was like, sit in one place for how many hours? You're a pain in the butt. <laughs> Four hours? Are you insane? Yeah, they would have put you on ADD drugs. All right. Anyway, <laughs> the uh, the Bally Bear Circus will phase out the show's iconic elephants from its performances by 2018, telling the Associated Press exclusively that growing public concern about how the animals are treated and led to led to this decision. Now. They're actually they're treated very well. They have a purpose in life, and if it wasn't for them, they probably were dead a long time ago. I am surprised that Mark Levin picked this story up at all. I really am. <laughs> I guess it must be something near and dear to his heart. He's an animal guy. Where was I? Executives from Feld Entertainment, Ringling's parent company, said the decision to end the circus's century-old tradition of showcasing elephants was difficult and debated at length. Elephants have often been featured on Ringling posters over the decades. The decision is being announced Thursday. You know what? Just today. You know that what they also did. The, the elephants were helped set up the tents. The, the elephants could lift and pull on robes, just like you see in the movies. And... Uh, so I guess they're going to use machines now. There's been somewhat of a mood shift among our consumers, said Alana Feld, the company's executive executive vice president. A lot of people aren't comfortable with us touring with our elephants. That's because of the indoctrination centers. They just put a bunch of nonsense in our children's brain. Oh, the poor elephants. This is just like the minimum wage. Oh, we need a minimum wage. Raise it a living wage. There's no such thing as a living wage. If you're living and you're getting a wage, I guess it's living wage. Uh, it, it, whatever you go to your employer or to-be employer, and whatever agreements you come together to make out your little thing is the way it's supposed to work. 
But now there's a bunch of people running around that were brought up with circuses uh, are evil. They treat, yeah, they treat their animals like uh, they whip them. They treat, they, oh, that's terrible. You know, again, if they treated those animals that way, you don't think the elephants would help lift up the big tent, do you? I think the elephant would step on you. Well, and again, what you bring up, what would be in their best interest to do that? How how would they make money if they were abusing the animals there that are, they're needed? There were always stupid people that abuse animals for money, and yes, it never never ends well. But there's always going to be bad characters, and that's just the way of it. Barnum and Bailey Circus certainly isn't. Feld owns 43 elephants, and 29 of the giant animals live at the company's 200-acre center for elephant conservation in central Florida. Oh, the evil. The evil elephant people. See? They don't want to live in Florida. It's humid and hot. They're from the desert. They want to go... To... No, they're not. They're, not... they're mostly from India. And, and No, they're in the jungles. <laughs> I was going to say. That's the best but, you know, I heard people him. say that, that to me, and I'm just, I just had to repeat it because it's so funny. Hence the funny voice. Um, well, and that's why we saw one time we were um, four-wheeling in Moab, Utah, and we came upon a ranch that was in the middle of the desert, and they had a camel, remember? In in a yeah in a uh, valley, a desert valley, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and they had a, they had, had a, a camel. camel. And the first thing we said is, oh, no, here comes the PETA people, the poor camel. You can't keep – I'm like, it's in a desert. This is where the camel's Look, supposed to they be. they actually used it for transportation. So they rode it in and out of the desert. Yeah. Why not? That's what they're designed for. Yeah, Brian wants horses up here. <laughs> this is this is too cold for camels. <laughs> All right, so um, they're in Florida, central Florida. That's right around Disney. Thirteen animals will continue to tour with the circus before retiring to the center by 2018. One elephant is on a breeding loan to the Fort Worth Zoo. I think zoos are cruelty to animals. I do too. Not not the circus. Not circus and not yeah. compounds like this. Because they have places, you know, they, they roam. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And it has 200 acres for these animals to go on. Another reason for the decision, company president Kenneth Feld said, was that certain cities and counties have passed anti-circus and anti-elephant ordinances. Okay. Ding, 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 ding. I know. Don't M- say it. Mark Levin. I, that, that, <laughs> I'm not here to pick on Mark Levin. No, I know. But he did, I don't know why he didn't get this. I know he completely article. screwed it up. A yes. caller called in and he got confused. And he, he, he just after just reading it, he said that wasn't the case. That it had nothing to do with local ordinances. Yes, it did. But he already read. But I just read you. But why are we bringing this up? Like, do you think their list, his listeners, might be listening and we're trying to correct him? Well, not just that. We need to get our state, city, towns, counties back. This is ridiculous. Right, but there was no reason to bring Levin into it. Well, sorry, but he didn't get this part. We make mistakes. You know, he was saying it was for being politically correct. Though they're getting pressured because the cities and the well, states. It was, it, yeah, I know. He did treat the caller rather badly considering the caller was right and he was wrong. But, you know. It did have to we'll do see, with government. Listen to it tomorrow. Maybe he'll 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 say a retraction. And it did this. This had to do with government intruding on industry again. Yeah. I'm so tired of this. People, you have got to stand Look, up. If the town doesn't want the circus, then the town won't let the circus be there. There's no reason to make ordinances against elephants. 
Just say, don't allow the Barton Bailey Circus to come to your county. There you go. They don't want that. They, they'd lose money. Just don't bring the elephants. Bring the rest of it. So they don't care if somebody on the high wire falls to their death in their county. They, they don't care if humans on the flying trapeze fall to their death entertaining their people. Just as long as there's no elephants. Let's save the elephants from a life of working like the rest of us and having a purpose in life. Uh, but all oh, those people that kill themselves, who cares? Oh, there's too many people in the world anyway. Ask any Peter person. Uh, they, <laughs> I like the ones that wish they were never born. I'm like, wow, we finally agree on something. Anyway, anti-elephant ordinances. The company's three shows visit 115 cities throughout the year, and Feld said it's expensive to fight legislation in each jurisdiction. It's also difficult to plan tours amid constantly changing regulations, he said. All of these resources used to fight these things can be put towards the elephants, Feld said during an interview at the Center for Elephant Conservation. Those evil people. We're not reacting to our critics. We're creating the greatest resource for the preservation of the Asian elephant. Again. Evil people. They're evil circus people. Everyone knows circus people are no good. But they're getting sued by the the individual. No, you can't go there until you sue them. Oh, my Lord. To change the ordinance, see? This is on. Believable, Brian. They are, you're right. All the local governments, they're all many means. They're taking cues from the federal government. This is how they're going to stop what they don't want. Well, unfortunately, that's absolutely true. They take their cues directly from Washington, unfortunately. Um, because that's how power is, wa- that's how power is wielded, you know? That, that's the lesson they learn, how to wield power. Well, to properly wield power would be to the benefit of the people, not to the benefit of oneself. All right. They blinded me with science. Anthropology. <laughs> I that song was so funny. I couldn't believe it. I, 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 it's a stupid song, but it stuck in my head constantly when it was on the, when it was on the radio. All right. This is from Fox news. A fragment of jawbone dating back 2.8 million years is evidence that the first humans evolved more than 400,000 years earlier than previously thought, scientists reported Wednesday. 400,000 years, huh? You're still trusting that carbon dating, I see. The one that is has been shown to be inaccurate and has to be revisited. No, they're still, oh, it's 400,000 years. Even. See how stupid the Bible is? Uh, first of all, I've got to say it again. A year in God's life and a year in our life is not the same. And if you bother to read the Torah instead of the Old Testament, you would understand much more clearly the history. I'm telling, ladies and gentlemen, the Torah is Jewish history. You need, you really need to learn to study it. Because if you... If you like the messages of the Old Testament, you like you know, delving around in new areas you haven't been in before. Um, the Torah, I, just that alone. I think it's the first five books in the Torah. That, that'll take you at least a year 
at least. You have no idea. First five books are about, oh, I'd say um, three and a half inches thick with small letters. Anyway, you should read it because Jesus said he came to add to, not to change, and he was a Jew. Besides, why wouldn't you want to know the, the history of Jesus' people? So, uh, anyway, 400,000, it makes me laugh. The fossil, which was uncovered in the Afar region in northern Ethiopia, is dated very close to the time that the human or homo genus or group split away from more ape-like ancestors like the Australopithecus afarensis, best known for the fossil skeleton Lucy, discovered in 1974. Uh, it, wow, I, best known? I, I've never even heard of it. They've, they, they've, they've discovered all kinds of skeletons, and they've all turned out to be hoaxes. I don't know about this one. Africa is a hotbed for human ancestor fossils, and scientists from Arizona State University have worked for years at the Ethiopia site trying to find fossils from the dimly understood period when the Homo genus arose. Our species, called Homo sapiens, is the only surviving member of this group. This science is so is so not science that it's just ridiculous. Is it important? Is it important to you? Uh, You think you came from apes? I disagree. I think we came from the ocean. I could go on and on with this stuff. These are all viable scientific theories. And that's all Darwinism is, is a theory. It's never been proven, meaning human evolution from apes has not been proven. Anyway, uh, it really doesn't matter what I evolved from, but I'm really seriously thinking that the Africans might have been a different branch of the family tree. So, and basically they're in Africa, so the only history they're discovering is people in Africa, the continent thereof. The jaw fragment, which includes five teeth, was discovered in pieces one morning on, in January 2013 by Kalaku Siyom, an Ethiopian graduate student at Arizona State. He said he spotted the tooth poking out of the ground while looking for fossils. Arizona State, huh? Another desert. The discovery is described in a paper released Wednesday by the journal Science. Desert sand is very conducive to remains staying existing because it's dry and warm and dry, and that's, uh, that's a good storage medium. Plus, the, the, the sand, is, it just doesn't hold any water. So Anyway, Arizona State's William Kimball, an author of the paper, said it's not clear whether the fossil came from a known early species of Homo or whether it reveals a new one. Field work is continuing to look for more fossils at the site, said another author, Brian Vilmore, 
of the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Analysis indicates the jaw fossil came from one of the earliest populations of Homo, and its age helps narrow the range of possibilities for when the first Homo species appeared, Gimbel said. Okay, now they found this here in the United States, right? Right. I thought we were like the youngest continent, and we weren't even back when they were roaming and everything. They were all from Africa. Africa is the oldest civilization. No, 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 no. The theory is that the Mongoloids, the Chinese, the Mongols, they came across. First, it was a land bridge where the oceans receded to the point where there's shallow area across Alaska to uh, Russia is you could walk across it. But others think it, it was more likely that it was shallow water canoes looking for fish. And they followed the, the fish across that shallow area onto North America, and that's where the Indians came from. And and that theory's panning out because there's been a lot of ocean caves on the Pacific side that have showed fossils of, uh, of, of those of Mongoloid, which is Asian. So right now, that's the leading theory as far as I know. And again, they said that we're like the youngest continent, and now they're finding... But, Thank right. God they don't know anything. They really just don't. Well, it, if the article we read was true, then carbon dating is that far off, then everything changes. The whole history of the Earth changes. Because that's the only way we can go back millions of years and date something. But what happens if the process was flawed? What if it's wrong? What if it's not accurate? What if it really only is 5,000 years? Well got to ask yourself questions or, you know, look for answers. They just keep changing, Brian. How accurate can this be? <laughs> I mean, really? No, carbon dating hasn't changed. But now it had come into dispute. Uh, there's somebody that has a workable theory that carbon date, the carbon dating we've been using is completely inaccurate. And that the Earth is much younger than we thought. But it's not proven science yet, but it sure does coincide with a whole lot of interesting stuff. Like, did the Grand Canyon just get withered away by a river over millions of years? Or did the did a vast ocean underneath the outer crust of the Earth suddenly shoot forth and left the Grand Canyon behind? If you're wondering what that's a reference to, that would be Noah. Oh my! Oh my Christian! Oh my Christian listeners, the ones that put up with me, are all got. I knew that. <laughs> the fossil dates to as little as two hundred thousand years after the last known fossil from Lucy's species, which has been dated at around three point two million years old. The fossil is from the left lower jaw of an adult. It combines ancestral features like a primitive chin shape with some traits found in later homo homo fossils, like teeth that are slimmer than the bulbous molars of Lucy's ilk. Despite that mix, experts not involved in the paper said the researchers make a convincing case that the fossils belong in in the homo category, and they represent good evidence that it came from a creature that was either at the origin of Homo or within shouting distance, said Bernard Wood of George Washington University. 
You commies just can't get enough of We Came From Apes, boy. I know. <laughs> can't get over it. Trust me. You, liberal, <laughs> you liberals, maybe you came from apes. <laughs> that might explain your stupidity. But. <laughs> the find also bolsters the argument that Homo arose from Lucy's species rather than a related one, said Susan Anton of New York University. The new paper's analysis is first rate, but the fossil could reveal only a limited amount of information about the creature, said Eric Delson of Lehman College in New York. There is no head, there's no tools, and no limb bones, so we don't know if it was walking any differently from Australopithecus afarensis. Which was Lucy's species, he said. Oh, see, they they call it Lucy instead of Australopithecus afarensis. Because no one would know what the heck you're talking about, right? It's the... Isn't Australopithecus afarensis... Wasn't that from Africa? Again, I, I truly believe the Africans are in a completely different branch of the tree. Did we just split off in different directions somewhere. A different um, origin of... Either we had different origins or we split it sometime in the tree and went in completely different directions. One more primitive, one less primitive. Depending on the climate. It doesn't depend on the climate. It depends on what you do. The primitive thinking, primitive behavior, primitive uh, uh, DNA is about, is about physicality. It's about surviving in a dangerous world. And the Africans being dark skinned—that's just—that's just a lot of melanin. Because if they didn't, they'd all die of skin cancer from all the sun they're in all the time, half naked. So uh, that—that's why they became so dark. Or they—they they could have branched off a completely different, come from a different tree, and maybe they didn't change to a dark pigment. Maybe they've always had a dark pigment. Maybe they came from apes. I don't, you know, People are really going to hate our show. <laughs> what I, don't you get about uncooperative? Look, we all came from somewhere. <laughs> yes, we I, did. I don't know where. But it, it's stupid to just deny the fact that the average male, black male, has over 20 pounds of body mass over the Caucasian version. There's a reason for that. They don't exercise. That's how they're, they're just made that way. There's a reason for that. They, they developed those genes for a reason because... If you believe in Darwinism and all that, well, it would be someone, someone suddenly had those abilities and then that stuck around and the others died off because they didn't have the ability, whatever the case may be. They're still over there in tribal culture. So how can you expect them, their DNA to change into a different direction? If they still need the physicality, they're going to keep the physicality, right? That's just Darwinism. <laughs> uh, look. I don't know. I'm just saying, shouldn't we ask the questions? Can't find answers till you ask the questions. Oh, but that's racist. Okay. Yes, they are of a different race unless you you, you just say we're all part of the human race. Uh, ha ha. They, yeah, they're a different race of people. So what? And anything I say about them would inherently be racist. But not in the current vernacular of races. It, just as they talk about us, it would be racist, right? No, black people don't talk about white people? You sure? Uh, seven years in the ghetto, huh? I, I I don't know. 
<laughs> Trust me. Uh, when it comes to prejudice, I have never met this many white people that were prejudiced as and and in one spot. It's amazing. Uh, you have to understand they live in their own world. There ain't no white people where they live, and they like it like that. That's why they don't like white cops. So anyway, they have nothing to go by to really change anything. Um, it's the first time that anything other than isolated teeth had turned up as a possible trace of Homo before 2.3 million years ago, he said. This fills a gap, but it hasn't yet given us a complete skeleton. It's not Lucy, Delson said. This is always the problem. We always want more. Well, you do need more because you haven't found the missing link yet. So bite me. <laughs> We're going to say that. That's like every time I see some of these kinds of stories, I bring them up because science is not settled. It is Science not is settled. never settled by definition. Never. We're, you're always learning new things. You're always working on somebody else's success, somebody else's information. Science is forever changing. Anybody that says that nonsense does not know anything about science. They're and saying- it's settled science. Every time you hear it, it's political nonsense. Yep. There is no such thing. An overwhelming consensus. Nope, not even that. Um, scientists that aren't affected by and tar- and uh, tainted by federal grants and the IPCC. Well, that'd be none. So if the IPCC and the UN was created to bring about one world New World Order of Global Socialism, according to the man who created it, that was his goal. It's just nonsense. Why would you believe anything they say? It's politicized from the inception. And all the scientists over here taking grants and money from private even, they they will make the study come out any way you want. You pay them the money, they'll make it come out. That's the way science is now. And that's just not my opinion. Years ago, we had a scientist on was talking about it. It's exactly that. Well, you can't yeah. trust scientists anymore. It's too politicized. It's, there is no such thing as pure science anymore. Well, you know, the good, uh, very good example of that was in the first Jurassic Park movie where they were scrambling to get grants from anybody to continue the projects that they were doing before he came up and asked the two sciences to come with him to the island. It was the private, no, it was the private funding that made it go. Right, and they were that they were actually discussing in the kitchen that they would have to go to two governments now yep. to get grants. And it the way that they portrayed it, I was thought it was brilliant. I and I wasn't even that much into politics when this first came out, and I got it. I was like, you're kidding me. They, so they can't raise money, you know, privately. privately. The first thing they do is run to a government for a scientific, a scientific project. Well, and, and they the, can't no, no tainting there. The problem there. is that it's not as it's portrayed there. Usually, it is something that is not. Scientists don't necessarily come and beg for grants. These are grants already, already out there that they can apply for. If you have something revolutionary, yeah, there's another thing. But no money is supposed to go from the national government to science or art. But it says it right in the Constitution, Brian. No, it does not. No, it doesn't. It says it should secure and help the arts and sciences by doing what? 
securing their intellectual property rights. Uh, copyrights, patents, and trademarks. By doing that, that's the only goal there in science and arts. They're not to pay them to go learn things and do things and make things. And none of that is constituted. No money is supposed to leave the federal government and go to the domestic area at all. It's just not supposed to happen. Anyway, um, this thing, you know, what I find amazing is that people still think science is science. The more I study science now, the more I realize they're, I'm, you don't find any scientists like when I was growing up. I mean, they didn't make much money, scientists, but, <laughs> but they were, they were, they were pure to the science. It wasn't about money. It was about, it was about doing something important. It's about discovery. It's about, was it about money and putting food on the table? What, what, do you, what happened to Bill Nye, the science guy? We actually used to like him. He's a freak. <laughs> Well, it, it, we only saw him, uh, uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, in which he talked about science and not politics, and it wasn't an issue. Now, after too many years of eating nothing but vegetables, you look at him. He's emaciated. He looks like a walking mummy. He sounds like, oh, we all need to give up 20th, 21st century life and go back to living in caves because global warming. Well, you go live in a cave. Just remember, everybody gets to do their part. So if you feel that way, you should go live in a cave. Leave me alone. And I'm sure everybody feels that way about every one of these tards is, look, you viral Nazi, just go away. <laughs> do it. Do, do Go do whatever you want. Don't eat meat. Go ahead. Kill yourself. I don't care. But the problem with vegetarians, and I don't know if vegetarians know this, is they love science so much, though so they should. There, uh, there is a, a, a something, and I can't remember what it is, in red meat that your brain needs to think properly, an enzyme or something. It's an am- amino, a um, specialized amino, amino acid. acid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's not available in anything but red meat. That includes you chicken and fish eaters out there. Oh, watch the fish and the mercury. Uh, that'll f- mess up your brain, too. My God, no wonder they're messed up. <laughs> The ones that bother to eat fish, even, they get mercury poisoning on top of the brain not functioning right to begin with. This all makes sense now. I'm always, aren't you always scratching your head? What are these left wing liberal progressive socialist commie fascist status passes talking about now? Well, they're not right in the head. They don't have the right nutrients for the brain to function properly. Therefore, they walk around looking like sickly things with a deadness in their eyes. <laughs> anyway, I hate this. Okay, article. you're done. You're done. <laughs> See, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> now, the never-ending, gonna... the never-ending desire to prove that humans came from apes. Yep. And it's all nonsense. It it's really it was a nice theory, you know, for Darwin. But you know, we've come a long way, and we can do a lot of things in science now we couldn't do back then, and we still can't prove it. So uh, here's one thing: I don't care one way or the other where we came from. It doesn't change the facts. Wherever we came from, God made it. And don't think that God didn't program the system. Oh, God, God, he just made it and walked away. Yeah, that's the people that, like, if I if, if I was to create something really entertaining, I'd walk away from it, right, and give it to somebody else or some, leave it for somebody else. I wouldn't stay there and be entertained or anything. No. Um, but if I was going to play Sim Earth, well, why, why would I walk away? Do, 
Don't you have to be at the computer to play Sim Earth? Well, so does God. However, we have made him very uncomfortable being in our presence, so he has slipped further away, but he's still there. The Constitution's still there, and we're still here. Everything we need to go back to liberty is right here. All right. Moving along. You're going to like this subject. Tires, from Fox News again, tires are usually used to put power to the road. But what if they could also recover some from it? Well, they do They do put off a lot of heat. It's the idea behind Goodyear's BHO3 tire unveiled at the Geneva Motor Show this week. It was a thermo-piezoelectric material built inside of it that turns heat generated when the tire is rolling into electricity that can be used to charge batteries on an electric or hybrid car. That's pretty cool. You know what all those terms mean, too. Piezoelectric? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it's when it's when a force causes vibration that causes electricity. Which we have on our own bodies. That's not the, the electrical definition of it. But, no, in our, our bones... Uh, bones grow based on piezoelectrical effect. Uh, jarring, pounding, heavy weight, uh, all these things will thicken your bones. While sitting around behind a computer doing absolutely nothing will diminish your bone strength. And if you're an older person, you might want to consider exercise because if you keep sitting there, you're going to wither away to nothing. Now, I'm not asking you to go kill yourself. You don't want you to hurt yourself. Find something you could do that doesn't, you know, just start walking for a while. Start at a half mile, build up to four. You should be able to get through four miles in one hour without a problem. But you won't because you've never walked before. But you will. You'll see. You'll, you'll just build up to it. It's not a big deal. Exercise is all about building up to it. Don't have expectations. It doesn't matter how much weight you can lift now. It matters how much weight you can lift ten months from now. And you're the tire guy. And I'm the tire guy, and and I'm also the the weightlifting guy, and the and the health guy, and the you know, I was an athletic trainer once. The thing that with the good years, I, I don't like even athletic I don't even think we can get those tires anymore for our truck, and that's going to be a problem. What are you talking about? Good the the tire the this size tire of, you're not going to no put not this, tire, this tire but I'm saying the size of the tires on our truck we're all, we're going to having problems with that. Well, we're going to have to adjust to the larger size of rims that everyone's using now. I went from a 16 down to a 15 because it was easier for me to find 33, 12, 50, 15s, and none were made in 16 at the time. Now they're up to 17 or 18, I think, and they're phasing out the 15s. So I, the whole truck's built around every component in it. It's all custom made. It can't take a bigger tire. It can take a smaller one, but who wants to do that? Well, I'm just wondering if it has to do with regulations that we don't even know about. Nah, market. It's just all market. 15-inch rim is, like, ancient. Everything else is about bigger and bigger rims. And when you get the bigger tires, 33s, 35s, 37s, 36s, all those, I call them flotation tires. That's what they used to be called. Um, they're like they're, they're like big, bouncy things when you air them, air them down a little bit because they've got so much rubber and so little rim, there's a lot of flex in the sidewall, so it's better for going over obstacles because your tire will wrap around it. The more rim there is, the less flexibility in the sidewalls, and that's great for the highway. 
but it stinks off road. <laughs> so, which is where we live off right. road. <laughs> we live off road. So, the truck was created for much more, but still, I uh, would have to make too many adjustments to go up to a thirty-five to make it worthwhile. It would be a lot of work and a lot of money. Not going to happen. But, uh, yeah, this, that's tire stuff. You guys will never run into that. You, you buy regular tires on your cars and trucks. and Unless you're an off-roader, you don't, you don't bother. All right, so where are we here? Um, its tread was also designed to better absorb sunlight. So it could use the heat to generate additional electricity when the car is parked. Exactly how much Goodyear hasn't said, as the tire is only a concept at this time. Let me tell you the problem with all of this. These electric cars cost a fortune. The only reason anyone can afford them is because of the tax breaks. Enormous tax breaks. Direct write-offs. But everything they're doing to make it functional is making the vehicle cost more. You know that. These tires are not going to be like 50 bucks. Hell, or our even tires 100. aren't even that much, and they're regular. Ours are over two hundred dollars, uh, and people pay more. But this makes it more expensive. This kind of tire is obviously going to be more expensive than a standard tire. Uh, so that this just keeps increasing the cost, adding, 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 and yet there has been no move to actually create an infrastructure for electric cars. Hey, Mark, nobody wants them. A handful of people out there, compared to the 333 million, want these stupid things. The rest of us want something that gets me where he goes, gets me there safely, gets me there easily, gets me there happily. If electric could do that, great, but it can't right now. And any any messing with the market by the federal government through tax breaks is unconstitutional. That's right, because the progressive income tax is unconstitutional. But, Brian, the 16th Amendment said it can create income. Yeah. It says they can tax our income. It certainly does. What does that have to do with how they do it? Nowhere in the 16th Amendment does it describe any new way of doing things, and so equal protection under the law applies, does it not? Of course it does. So... Wait, equal protection of the law, the left is screaming about it all the time. Where is it now? Why do I why do I pay less taxes than a millionaire, percentage-wise? Why don't we all pay the same percentage? Because that would be due process, equal tr- protection under the law, right? Regulations are laws, just so you know. So... The tax law is unconstitutional because it's progressive. It's been unconstitutional since the very first one because it was a progressive who initiated it. And they were doofus enough to know what they wanted but not put it down exactly in writing in the amendment. So maybe they did that to fool people into ratifying the amendment. I don't know. But what I can tell you right now is they kind of cut themselves, they cut off their own noses because now in the future I'm sitting here exposing the fallacy of the notion that it was ever okay to have a progressive income tax. It wasn't. It No, 16th Amendment does not suspend equal protection under the law. I'm sorry. That means, that means no matter your skin color, gender, weird sexual predilections, uh, height, weight, whatever, everybody plays the same percentage. 
No matter how much you make, no matter how little you make. If you if you panhandle and only made ten dollars last year, send me a dime. See? That's how it works. You only pay a dime, but you're paying into the system. Everybody pays into the system. Not like the unfair tax. There are no prebates, no giving money to poor people. Well, they give money to everybody. Yeah, but it directly affects the poor people because they they spend every dollar of everything they make. And therefore, that tax is a tax of every dollar that they make. It might as well be an income tax. What's the difference? But they'll, well, we got prebates. Well, prebate. Oh, wait. So they don't pay any now because of the prebate. The prebate is supposed to cover all... The sales tax that that family would have incurred, poor, remember they're poor, over the year. All of it. So they get they, they get all this money up front to buy all the food for the year, to pay for the, all the taxes that they're going to have to pay on all their food and stuff for the year. That's the stupid idea and the unfair tax. It's, it's also, it, it's unconstitutional, it's progressive, it's nonsensical, it, it, uh, it's, it's not equal protection of the law, it is not fair. And nobody wants a consumption tax. You may think you do. Trust me on this. You're going to be sorry later on when you're in retirement. Now, I know taxes and tires begin with a T, but what? We were talking about tax subsidies, government involvement in the market. That's what this is. What? Nothing. Now you understand? I I can't leave the room for a second. in the room? I can't explain it. For a second, I just can't. No, well, you got then you have to catch up. See, it doesn't work. All right, um, mm-mm, mm-mm, uh, making use of even electricity, even when the car is parked. Exactly how much and said another one that de- debuted alongside the BHO3 is the triple tube, which features three air chambers fitted just under the tread and a system that can adjust the pressure in each of them individually. This could not add more cost to the car now, could it? When a car is going straight on a dry road, they're all inflated evenly. But in a turn, the outside chamber gets the most pressure to help keep the contact patch as flat as possible. Because friction is the name of the game, ladies and gentlemen. More rubber on the ground, the better. Except there's downside of that too because then it causes drag then you lose gas mileage you know this is a pet peeve of mine because my husband is fanatic when it comes to tire pressure and tires i constantly have to check the tire pressure on my vehicle before i drive it anywhere i have to air down in certain times of going down the mountain because of the terrain and it makes the traction better he took him years to explain all this to me. <laughs> I have to write it down in a little book. Yeah. It's tough living with you. <laughs> Some would say it's a blessing living with me, knowing all this stuff. I mean, I the, the tire obsession up here is unbelievable. <laughs> it just is. Well, it's a, it's a combination of reasons. for you, you need clearance because of snow. And... On our section road, you need clearance to go over the boulders that have eroded through the road. We're in the Rocky Mountains. And so there's it's already a little four-wheel drive road, getting about a mile of four-wheel drive road to get out of here. Yep. And it changes constantly. We never, we never know what I'm going to face when I turn the corner to go up that road. It's like, is it going to be 
giant drifts of snow or mud or did the the erosion cause trenching cause craters called boulders and it's, it's always something or or the wonderful thing is going up the road and about halfway up there hitting a sheet of ice that's so slick uh that there's no way to find any traction and just sliding down the back down the mountain road which we've done which is no fun because it's going to stop when it stops and there's nothing you do about it uh i've been lucky but you know, this it's the point is it's always something. Uh, so the truck very, is overbuilt for what's up here, but well, I'm talking about my pickup truck. That's the one that's hard to get up and down. That that's built nicely for a pickup truck. Twelve fifties in the rear, ten fifties in the front, thirty threes. Uh, independent front suspension, which is nice. Okay, well, guess what? I don't like independent front suspension for rock crawling, but for going fast on dirt roads, you bet. That's what it's designed for. It works great. Okay, we're almost coming towards the end of the show, so I need you to move on because I have to get to these cockroaches. Well, then I'll just skip. It's right there. To the loo, my darling. Yes. From Live Science. Fleets of cyborg cockroaches <laughs> could someday roam into damaged nuclear power plants or collapse mines to carry out reconnaissance or locate survivors. They must have got the idea from our elected cockroaches. Brian, you and I, coming from New York, have battled cockroaches since we were infants. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ger- I, German I, cockroaches are... <laughs> just, New York City is full of everything German, by the way. Thanks, Germany. <laughs> we got Nazis, we got, we got uh, cockroaches, and we got rats. All from Germany. <laughs> When I read this, I was like, you know how, how long we've fought cockroaches? Yeah, but <laughs> see, they would have got my attention if they could be trained to go in to the nest where the cockroaches are and kill all the cockroaches. Have like cockroach wars. That'd be fun to watch, too. Sorry, they're very destructive and they cost a lot of money to remove. They're not very destructive. They're just disgusting. And basically, I didn't have to worry about them too much because I didn't live like a pig. Uh, if you're not going to wash your dishes every day, if you're not going to keep your house clean, you're going to keep a bunch of food around. In New York, you will have cockroaches, and that's the end of it. And when I say, I mean out of control cockroaches. Every building in New York has cockroaches. There's no way to wipe them out. There's a theory that you know after the nuclear holocaust, there'll be Twinkies and cockroaches. Although, I don't think they're making the Twinkie anymore. No, they're not. They closed it down, remember? Oh, I can't say that anymore then. Like the one about putting a putting a Twinkie on the rail of a Navy ship and come back in a hundred years and the ship will be all rusted, corroded, falling apart, but that Twinkie will still be there. Hey, I like Twinkie. I, eat, I don't care. I eat them anyway. I like messing other people's minds up, though. It's more fun to... And right after doing it, I'll eat it, Twinkie. <laughs> so I don't care if it's not healthy for me. It's got preservatives in it. It's going to keep me young. Right. While people normally... No, a team. What? A oh, team. I'm... A team. A team <laughs> of researchers implemented live cockroaches with electrodes that stimulate the nerves in the insects' antennae. Enabling the scientists to steer the creatures around like remote-controlled toys. Oh, I didn't see that coming. These are live cockroaches that they're treating like robots. 
cyborgs. I see. Scary. Well, people, well, there's so many millions of them, but whoever controls the cockroaches will control the world. <laughs> this is right out of Pinky in the Brain. <laughs> like a horror story. <laughs> yes. To rule the world. While people may normally think cockroaches as pests that live on human waste, these insects, no, they don't live on human waste. They live on the untidy things you do. Not storing food properly. Just asking for cockroaches. I, I used to walk into someone's, it's like, you got to be kidding me. Oh, that would be my daughter's house in town. Uh, good thing she's in Butte, Montana. We don't have German cockroaches. Anyway, while people normally think of cockroaches as pests that live on human waste, they eat crumbs. It's not, it's not really right waste. These insects are better than any small-scale robots that exist today, said Hung Liang, a materials scientist at Texas A&M University in College Station, and co-author of the study published online today, March the 4th, in the Journal of the Royal Society Interface. I have never read that. The remote-controlled roaches can go anywhere you guide them to, including places humans couldn't go, such as disaster zones, Liang told Live Science. Oh, what are you talking about? Our scientists can just throw a bunch of cockroaches in the building window and let them go reconnoiter for the muzzies, right? <laughs> uh, I see a pro. See, I don't like this. It's just like I hate nanites. Those things scare the bejesus out of me. Well, that should scare you more than this. Remote so why? Because we could stamp on this, stomp on these, right? Yes. Okay. And you can see them, deal with them. Stomp on them. If they're inside you, there's nothing you can do. In the new study, Liang and her colleagues implanted electrodes in the nerves of American and discoid cockroaches, Paraplantia americana and Blabrus discoidoas, okay, respectively. What, what is an American cockroach exactly? Uh, the American, uh, now, this is a question. If they say American cockroaches, that would be the Paraplantia Americana. Uh, that'd be the ones, the palmetto bugs down in Florida. I was going to just ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. These aren't German cockroaches. They're smaller German cockroaches. I don't know what discoid cockroaches are. You should have already looked this up. But that's supposed to be Blabberus discoidalis for you entomologists out there. The researchers glued teeny backpacks to the backs of the discoid roaches, which they were large enough to support them. Each pack held a microcontroller, wireless transceiver, and a battery. The resulting cyborg roaches were leashed and made to run on a trackball, while the researchers pressed buttons to deliver electrical zaps to the nerves in the insect's thoraxes, causing Aww. them to turn left or right. Aww. Lang and her team were able to make the roaches walk and turn in the desired direction 60% of the time, they said. It doesn't hurt them. It does hurt our whole, them. Our nervous system is electrical. It's bioelectrical. It's, they're not going to give them. They're not trying to hurt them. They're causing, they're causing their bioskeletons to move left or right. I can't believe I'm feeling sorry for cockroaches. <laughs> well, these aren't the German cockroaches. So I like all the other ones much better. Oh, my better. goodness. Somebody from PETA is going to contact me Everything now. German's out of control here in New York. That's what it was. <laughs> now Liang and her colleagues are developing a non-invasive version of the cockroach control system, 
which uses a vibrating motor positioned near the roach's antennae to make the insects move. This would work because cockroaches have a sensor to detect sounds or vibrations from predators. For example, unlike the electrodes, the vibrating device would not involve surgery or risk damaging the insect. I'm not concerned about the poor insect. Cockroaches are very interesting creatures, Liang said. People think they're disgusting. In fact, they're constantly cleaning themselves, she said. If they lose a leg, they can grow another one. And they're one of the only few species that can survive being exposed to dangerous amounts of nuclear radiation. I told you. <laughs> After having them for a while, I keep some in my office as a pet, Liang said. Okay, you need to get out, Liang. <laughs> you must be in China. So you you, you, you got to have cockroach pets? Uh, they have them in the ghettos, too. <laughs> They have cockroach races. The kids wear cockroaches on a string around their neck. It's all rather bizarre, if you ask me. Yeah. You adjust to your environment, I guess. There's lots of cockroaches in New York City ghettos. As you might imagine, those people do not keep tidy houses. Honestly, very few. It's amazing. When you do walk into one, it's like, what happened? I felt like it's like you walk out of the hallway of, of the... Well, you called projects. Projects, yeah. Uh, skyscraper free housing for people on welfare. Um, you walk, and it's all disgusting, dirty, stinky. The, ele- the elevators always stink like urine because somebody's always peeing in it. And uh, <laughs> it's always puddles you got to step over. But then you open the door and walk through. It was like going to, it was like the TARDIS. It, just, <laughs> it, it was like, that. what the, this, that doesn't belong here. Uh, Tell them what the TARDIS is, please. An interdimensional time device. That Doctor Who uses. Conveyance would be better. That Doctor Who uses. Oh, I forgot. Uh, but it's the idea, is, yeah, and the TARDIS is, it's a, it's a little f- British phone booth on the outside. On the inside, it's like vast. I forgot to tell interdimensional you thing. the, the uh, Colorado station that we listened to. Uh-huh. They're having a Doctor Who convention this month. Colorado. I don't care about that. I want Doctor Who to come back. <laughs> oh, well. End of the show? What do you say? All right, folks, this has been the Uncooperative Radio Show. I'm your host, Brian Bonner from UncooperativeBlogger.com. You're listening to UncooperativeRadio.com. And say goodnight, Susan. Good night, Susan. And we're out of here!